This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away, back, goal. Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is amazing. It truly is amazing. And I don't know if anybody will ever truly do a full-on, full-on, because they've already done books, but it was about the cheating scandal. But you need to keep investigating the Astros because it is amazing the success they have had despite all the dysfunction. It, it is literally crazy. Sometime, I don't know when, we're going to need to go back and look at and go, how did these guys win two World Series, go to four, and be in the ALCS six straight years when all of this dysfunction? By the way, the cheating scandal was a long time ago. And they still, as I was recently told by an Astro employee, it's a horrible place to work. It's still to this day a horrible place to work. I was recently told that. And Luno's been gone for years now, three yeah, years. Yeah, this isn't about Luno anymore. And what we're learning right now, and what I have learned, is that there was such dysfunction, James Click, who was running the team, and the owner, Jim Crane, that there's a reason why you win the World Series immediately after the World Series, you tell your general manager to go take a hike. I don't know if we've ever seen that in the history of baseball. Like, immediately after the World Series. Like, the GM guys were all going to meet, and he, yeah, you're not, you're out. He didn't have a deal. I mean, you win the World Series, and the owner goes, you're out of here. Jim Crane is so dysfunctional, yet overcomes all of it. And... And James Click, the GM, he's super dysfunctional. So everywhere you look inside the Astros is dysfunction, and it doesn't matter. They continue to win. And look at the two deals that they did. This is what I found out. James Click 
did not want to re-sign Kendall Graveman when Kendall Graveman got that deal by the White Sox. Jim Crane wanted to re-sign him. Click said no. Owner went, whatever. Kendall Graveman moves on to the White Sox. Justin Verlander, you got the Cy Young, you got the World Series, let him sign the big deal with the New York Mets. And obviously there was dysfunction going on because Crane's a Verlander guy, Click's not, and while they're while they're in their little dance and Crane's about to show his you-know-what to the door, Verlander signs with the Mets. Who are the two guys that were Jim Crane guys? Now Dana Brown has been sold as a baseball guy. Expos, Braves, Blue Jays, now finally after all this time gets a shot to be GM. Call him a figurehead, whatever. Behind the scenes, Jim Crane, the owner, is still calling the shots. He's still the owner. He's like a um, behind-the-scenes Al Davis, Jerry Jones. I was going to say Jerry Jones. Where did Jerry Jones learn? Al Davis. See, that's not fair. See, Al Davis, see, the problem is associating with Jerry Jones with Al Davis is not fair. Why? Great question. Al Davis was a successful football coach. Uh, He's a football man. For God's sakes. Al Davis was a coach of the year in the AFL. Al Davis coached at USC. Al Davis was there with Sid Gilman in San Diego and then came to Oakland and was a great football. Al Davis was a football coach. He was a real, he was paid to be a head football coach. Jerry Jones, just a guy who played line at Arkansas and then got into oil and made money. And now people try and compare him to Al Davis. It's like, stop. But whatever. Jim Crane, another rich guy, he's, he's, pulling, the, he's pulling the strings. So who are the two guys that the Astros picked up here at the deadline that James Click let go that Jim Crane liked? Kendall Grafman. One. And uh, uh, that guy that's going in the – Future Hall of Famer, Justin Verlander. I mean, I'm like hearing this story over the weekend. I'm being told this. I'm like, wait a minute. You already had these guys. You let these guys go, and now you got to reacquire them? You had to reacquire them. They were yours. The only thing, and no prospects, no, that it was just money. Which, by the way, according to this person I talked to, I hate, I hate the word source. Uh, they've got plenty of money. Astros are printing money. They got plenty of money. Now they've conned the Mets for paying a lot of the uh, Verlander money. I, I have the exact figures on it for Verlander. This is from Mark Feinstein. Verlander's owed $58 million in 23 through 24, of which the Mets will pay $35 million, according to a source. If Verlander's $35 million uh, option for 2025 vests, the Mets will pick up $17.5 million bringing their total to $52.5 million in the trade, all of which will count against their CBT. So, you had Verlander, you had Graveman. You now had to go out and reacquire them because of the. it was purely the relationship of the owner and the general manager. And still to this day, here they are. I Is it one game back still? I didn't check. I played golf all day yesterday. I, I was asleep at the wheel yesterday. They're a half game back 
Astros are a half game back where we stand right now, August 1st. Half game back. They've acquired Graveman, Verlander. Verlander, by the way, last seven starts, 4-1 and one with a 1.49 ERA. He is hot. Now, Scherzer is not that. Scherzer's been – Scherzer has not been good. In over a year, Scherzer's been – I mean, go back to the playoff game against the Padres. What do you give up? Five, four, five home runs? Yeah, did I send you the thing about the Mets? Yeah. December third December first, twenty twenty one. Mets signed Max Scherzer. December second, twenty twenty two. Jacob DeGrom signs with Texas. December seventh, twenty twenty two. Mets signed Verlander to replace DeGrom. <laughs> July 29th, twenty three. Mets trade Max Scherzer. August first. Mets trade Justin Verlander back to Houston. <laughs> it's a it's it's but you look at it. This is going to be exciting. And once again, the AL West is the main player. Funny how that we we weren't that long ago from AL East is historic. Remember, the two divisions that have had the best winning percentage in the wild card era are both the AL West from like 01 and 02. You know, remember one of those years, A's won 102 games, Mariners won 116. 2001. I mean, crazy. So, everybody was talking about the AL East. And right now, forget the AL East because they're starting to drop off fast. Boston's just 56-50. and 50. Yankees are 55-51. and 51. Yankees did not do anything. Still in last place. Boston had didn't do anything. Uh, DeYoung ended up getting traded to Toronto. If you didn't hear about Bo Bichette last night, rounding first. Oh, I don't know why I'm doing that because you can't see it. Bo Bichette grabs his knee. Trainers come out. MRI today, no structural damage. But obviously, they got DeYoung uh, from uh, St. Louis. They also got – and they got Jordan Hicks, the, the hard-throwing. Jordan right, Hicks also came over. Uh, but not not – Nothing earth-shattering happened in the AL East. And then the Orioles get Flaherty. Not, not, nothing earth-shattering. Yeah. Oh, no but, position players. Yeah. No, no, nothing happened. What, I mean, what happened in the AL? You got Verlander, Scherzer. Look at Texas. Scherzer, Montgomery, Stratton. They got guys. The hedges, Verlander, Cra- Graveman. They got guys. The AL East did nothing. Yeah. Oh, uh, Tampa Bay acquired Aaron Savali. Tampa. I, I know. I'm just saying that's, that's the move they You're made. You're killing me here. I'm trying to tell the story here. The AL West is what's the player right now. Like, you want to play – I mean, th- this is what this division, our division, which we could play spoilers in, our division is the one that matters now. Because the everybody's been focusing on the AL East. What did they do? How did they get better? And then Baltimore – I heard this today, and yes, there, 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 there's been a lot of criticism of the Oakland A's, and I get it. Some very warranted. Do you realize how many teams are just like we are, though? It's more than you think. It, 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 is, it, it is crazy. You may not really think about it. The Baltimore Orioles next year only have $25 million committed. That's it. You'd be amazed how many teams don't have money committed. Remember, 11 teams went into this year without spending $100 million. We got crushed. I get it. I'm not, I'm not defending anything. I'm saying criticism against us in a lot of ways is warranted. But there were 11 teams not spending $100 million. We're one of them. 
You've got a bunch of teams that are not spending the money you think they should be spending, including the team everybody's in love with right now, the Baltimore Orioles. They only have $25 million. Cedric Mullins is like the only guy they got next year, and I think it's like for $4.1 million. That's it. You've got a bunch of these teams that are really in the same boat as the Oakland Athletics. And that gets to a whole different thing. I don't even want to get into it. It's the next CBA, but it just goes to show. And as there's 11 teams not spending $100 million at the start of the year, everybody went, oh, but look at these teams that are going for it, the New York Mets. New York Mets just punted all their money. And two things I want to get into. First, I, I, I want to get into this whole thing about prospects being a fraud. This thing is, I I saw these numbers today, it floored people. But winning the trading deadline, all these different moves that I have for you right here, what do they really mean? Because when's the last time a winner of the trading deadline won the World Series? I'll take you to 2018. Who's the big name? Well, the Red Sox won the World Series, but I don't remember them getting anyone big. Nope. Who was the big name? Who was the big winner? Be the L.A. Dodgers because they got Manny Machado. Oh, that's right. And the Boston Red Sox had a bunch of small little moves, won them the World Series. 2019, who was the big fish and won the trading deadline? Astros. Who'd they get? Granky. Granky. Who won the uh, World Series? Nats. The Nats. They got bullpen help. They had a good team, good bullpen. But it was no. Yeah. So 2020, different deal. Can't count it. 2021, who won the trading deadline again? The, was it the Astros? Be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mad Max, Max Scherzer, and Trey Turner. Trey Turner. Who won the World Series? I'm drawing a blank on the World Series that year. Oh, Braves. That would be the Atlanta Braves, and they remade their outfield. Jocktober, Jock Peterson. Rosario. Solaire, right? Yeah, Eddie Rosario. They get they they just got a bunch of no-name outfielders, and it took off. Acuna got hurt. But, uh, yeah, Jocktober and his pearls. The pearls Remember that? The, per- the pearls, yeah. No one said, what? No one said that was the big deal. And here you had Max Scherzer, Trey Turner. And then last year, who was the big fish? Who was the big fish last year at the trading oh, deadline? Juan e. Soto. Oh, Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Oh, Josh Hader, Chris Drury, all going to the San Diego Padres. Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury. Chris Who's Drury, Chris? great hockey player. Was that a wrestler? Uh, was no, there a Drury? Chris Drury's a hockey player. Hockey player. Uh, isn't that the big deal right there? Yes. Oh, Josh Bell got traded again this year. But that was the big deal. Who won the World Series last year? Uh, the Astros. What were their major deals? I don't remember them making one. Christian Vasquez. And oh, Will Smith. Not the guy slapping at the Oscars. Or the Dodgers catcher. The left-handed pitcher, Will Smith. Think about that. Christian Vasquez, Will Smith. So So the last one to do it essentially would be the Astros in 17 then, right? When they got Verlander. Yeah. It just goes to show this, what we, what we did today is exciting, but what does it mean? I don't know if it means anything. What does it mean? 
adding to the fabric of your roster versus trading for the big fish. Last few years, trading for the big fish hasn't hasn't amounted to a World Series. You haven't won the the big winner. The big, you know, really kind of look at it. Big winner winners of the winter meetings and the big winners at the trading deadline haven't been the team that are hosting the trophy at the end. Yeah, we thought <clears throat> we thought the uh, team that won the winner was like, what the Mets probably. Yeah, Mets. Getting Mets or the Padres, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, both. Uh, well, Mets sold. Uh, Padres, Padres are going for it. Well, uh, three yeah. games under. They're uh, they're zero and ten in extra innings, but they're going for it. Some people would say Yankees holding on to Aaron Judge won the winter meetings. They're fifty five and fifty one, sitting in last place, and did not make a move. But, Don't give y- me yes. some bogus relievers. Two small. They made no moves. Remember all the talk of they're going to trade Bader or Glaber or Connor Falefa? They kept all of them. They just struck out 30 times in two games, the biggest two-game stretch of strikeouts in the history of the New York Yankees. I love the analogy, you're trying to fly the plane and refuel at the same time in the air. Have you ever watched that? you ever watch those old documentaries? You might be too young. But back in the day, before we would shoot nukes out of the ground, we had airplanes, bombers that flew 24-7 around the globe with nuclear weapons. Did you know that? No. Okay. So back in the day, look it up, kids. When we were in the arms race uh, back in the day against the Russians, the Cold War, both of us, we had planes that were going 24-7 with nukes. That's how we did it. And they would have to refuel these planes in midair, and it was very dangerous because obviously turbulence and everything. If you ever you look it up on YouTube, refuel a plane, it's crazy. Every time I've seen that movie, it never ends well. So that's basically what these teams have tried to do, and it, it, it's backfired. MLB Network threw it out today again, and. I wanted to, before we get to, what time we get into Carney's at 430? 4.30, yeah. When you think about the additions of Verlander, Scherzer, and all the different guys, it's, it's funny how we have now convinced all of you and try to convince ourselves that trading for these prospects is like the greatest thing ever. And how many times MLB, if you get emails from MLB.com, we're going to rank the top 30 farm systems, farm system, prospects, top 100 prospects. Who's the top 30 prospects for each, each team? Until my guy Dan O'Dowd, former GM of the Colorado Rockies, longtime assistant GM under John Hart for the Cleveland Indians during their heyday. Hey, he got the Rockies to the World Series. And that was such an interesting job that Dan O'Dowd did because they tried everything. They tried throwing money at it. They tried rebuilding. It's just it's tough to win in Colorado. He finally did it. Well, they came up with some numbers from 2013 to 2022. Trading deadline deals. That's a pretty big sample size. There were 573 prospects traded. Of those prospects, 3% became impact players. That is a horrific return. Contributors. These are guys that they play. 
they show up. They have an opportunity to play in the big leagues. You bring them up. They're not star players. They don't sign long-term contracts, but they become guys that play. Contributors. Of those 573 prospects traded between 2013 and 2022, 10.8% became contributors, guys who actually played. This one, wow. From 2013 to 2018, 29% of the guys would never spend one day in the big leagues, basically 30%. It is crazy. The talk of the prospects in our game and where everybody now wants to build their franchise the same way. Everybody now... Remember Moneyball? Everybody started doing Moneyball. Everybody now is trying to do it one way. That's why this offseason, we're not going to get to that. That's a long way away, but it's going to be fascinating because after the Mets committed over $330 million and now punted, I don't know if we're going to be seeing people ready to launch out there and sign some 10, 11-year deals for players. Don't think we're going to see that this offseason. I think you're going to have a lot of what all these teams are doing now. It's I want to win, but I want to rebuild or I want to retool at the same time. This is so much of I want to fly the plane and I want to refuel in the air. I never want to come back down. I want to stay up and do both at the same time. Jerry Depoto said it over the weekend on Sirius XM. That, are, you, are you a buyer or are you a seller? He goes, I'm both. People want to be both. I want to win and be good and maybe have a chance, but then I also want to have a farm system that's really strong. I want to have both. I want to have balance. People are really searching for this balance, but I love the analogy of flying the plane and refueling in the air, which is dangerous and really hard to do. That's a great analogy for it. But that's what teams want. They want balance. Some And then some teams are just going to be like, we're full rebuild mode, like we are the A's. That's where we're at. And there's quite a few teams like that. But then the other teams, even the big market teams, you're starting to see like, yeah, Dodgers are in it right now. Dodgers in the deadline got a bunch of guys with a negative war hoping to turn them around. Boston Red Sox didn't do much. They got hit like under 150. Yankees did nothing. Yankees did nothing. What did the Yankees do? Two relievers. Nobodies. Yeah. Nobodies. I mean, it's – so I, I – that's a crazy stat, right? 2013 to 2018, almost 30% never played a day in the big leagues. Not a September call-up, not nothing, not even a sniff. 30% of these guys. So essentially, what we're sold – when these trades happen, and we're living it now, Olsen trade, Chapman trade, Bassett trade, you know, Mania trade. We're sold on all these, you know, we're going to restock the system. You're restocking the system with a lot of guys that are never going to make an impact for you. It's going to be sold that there's that potential that you're getting the lottery ticket. But the reality is most of these lottery tickets, at best, you're going to scratch it. You're going to get these scratchers, and you're going to get another ticket. That's the best, you know, that is the repurpose this prospect for another deal. 
It's interesting. If you look back at just the la- <clears throat> just last year at the deadline when the A's traded Trevino and Montas, uh, Waldachuk's in the majors. Yeah. But Dean is in the majors. The only guy is J.P. Sears. And was he? Cooper Bowman. He's the only one, but he's in double-A. Uh, the Loresos guys were all traded before the season and, the, and in the offseason. So those guys don't even fit into this. So the A's have been, I guess, fortunate that their guys that they traded for are playing. But this is alarming. And it goes back to that thing we had about the last 10 years of draft picks and the guys that have made it to the majors for any team, not just the team they're drafted by. And that's why Houston's number one at 23%. Only 23%. 10 years, 329 picks for the Astros. Only 23% of those guys made the big leagues. It's crazy. It is so different than what you get in the NFL. Because when you draft guys in the NFL, you at least know they're going to play special teams. I'm at least going to put a guy on kickoff. I'm at least going to have a guy on kickoff return. Guy going to put a guy out there during punts. I'm going to get something out of him. We get the, all these dudes, and you got no idea. No idea. Actually, I actually preferred if the Bengals would have put Joe Burrow in the XFL for a year or two and let him take his lumps on there, then call him up to be the starting quarterback. Can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, we drafted Peyton Manning. You know what we're going to do? We're not going to play him. We're that- not playing Peyton Manning. You know why? Because we want to make sure he's a free agent later. So we're going to keep him down in NFL Europe. You're calling yeah, the (laughs) USFL. We're going to put him down in the USFL and not play him. He's not ready. He needs 500 throws. Peyton Manning needs 500 throws before he's going to be able to play at this level. Yeah, not going to play him. I think he threw almost – what did he throw his rookie year? He had the most interceptions. I I don't think anyone broke that yet. He he had the rookie interception. Interception, 26 touchdowns, 28 picks, I believe. How many times did he throw it as a a rookie? Uh, He threw it 575 times as a rookie. (laughs) No, he should have been down to the – should have been in Canadian football. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I just wanted to throw that out there for you. I thought it it, it is now something that they've used on MLB – in MLB Network multiple times. In the last 24 hours, because it's really shocking of what these press conferences are like, right? You trade somebody, front office person gets in front of you and goes, hey, listen, man, we took this other organization, the third the third prospect, the sixth prospect, the eighth prospect, blah, 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 blah. Then you start really looking at, well, what happens to all these prospects after these trades, Right. I'm watching Matt Olson hit bomb after bomb after bomb, and I'm wondering, wait, what? Some Estes guys, 21 years old. Okay, that's a good sign. He got just got called up to Double A. Triple A now. Is it Triple A? Estes is Triple A. He's in Triple A now. Yeah. Check that. Is it Triple A or Double A? I thought it was Triple A. Just like uh, last night, Jacob Wilson first professional hit for Lansing last night. Ooh. It was a double down the line too. Uh, He is now. Of course, it doesn't say on baseball, right? Let's just see. Joey, I thought I saw he got promoted to. He was just promoted. What level? Yeah, assigned to Las Vegas Aviators. He's 21 years old, right? Uh, Yep, 21. He's with the Aviators, yep. So maybe something's going to come out. Wait, was he in the. We've had so many deals with the Braves. He he was. was, He was in the Olsen deal. Okay. Pache gone. Langoliers is hitting 200 and a negative defensive run saved. Something's got to come up with this deal. Or it's horrifically looking bad. Horrifically bad. Yeah, the other two guys are Estes and Cusick. And where's Cusick? 
He's at mid. He was he's Midland. A midland. He's Midland. Was he healthy yet? He was pitching earlier this year. I remember when we were talking to uh, – Because we're just going to be honest with you. When we talk to all of our people about the minor leagues, they go pitching. Cusick uh, this year in trip in double A's started 17 games. Four and four at the four three six. 74 innings, 74 and a third, 66 strikeouts. So he's made some starts. Progress. Gunnar Hoagland's back. He's pitching in Stockton last week. One so guy no, left. The one guy left from the Matt Chapman trade. So a long way to go. Oh, yeah, for, I mean, for, for Kevin Smith, he's still here too. Oh yeah, thank God Kevin Smith was starting his shortstop last night. Oh, he started tonight at shortstop. Tonight, and and Hernandez has moved to second. It's second, yep. And uh, Brett Harris is the third. SCDHing and leading off. So maybe we see him tomorrow or, or Saturday. Why is he not here? If he's playing, what, what, is he ready to go or not, dude? He, that's been a while. It's before the All Star break. Correct. Well, they wanted to play back-to-back games, right? And he's not playing in the field today. Talk about the game plan. What's the game plan? Especially pitching. You need pitching. And maybe the trades at the deadline, you brought two pitchers in. Talked about that yesterday. Chad Patrick and Joe Boyle. So you bring these guys in. You drafted a boatload of pitchers. But these guys got to hit. These guys, because you're, you're at a point. You're at a point. Where you can't be, I, I guess, uh, that's the best way I want to put this. Your guys have to work. It's been a couple decades of mixing and matching and trading and moving guys and constantly moving guys and cash moving and doing all this kind of stuff. And then you stumble on something in 12 that works, that carries the 13-14. And then it's mix and match and mix and match and mix and match and mix and match and boom, 18 hits. And you got a couple draft picks. But where the team is now, you don't, you're not spending the money, so you're not able to move players all around. As you saw, there's teams that are not really interested in your players. Right now, to get out of where you're at, your draft has to work. You have to hit on your draft picks. Your international signings, where's the international signings? We've been signing, guys, right? Yeah. So the international signings, they got to work because you're not able to wheel and deal out there, right? You're not able to be signing all and moving these guys and in this deal, send a little money here and do this and do that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a hodgepodge, and all of a sudden it starts to work, and, wow, starting to win. This is starting to look good. Look at the Astros. You don't have – that's not even where I'm going. Well, I'm just saying we'll talk about the international. movement, though, that the A's yeah. have always relied on with all the different moves and different organizations, and we find guys and other organizations and take this guy and do – and then it all kinds of come together. You don't have that flexibility because you're not spending any money. So you – if you don't spend money on the big league roster, you have to – to have guys come from your minor league system. Your minor league system has to produce. It's, 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 and part of your minor league system is your international players that you have signed. The international players and the players you draft, they have to work. Because if they don't, well, then it is what it is. You don't, you're, you don't have the flexibility right now. 
you have more of that play. If you're spending 80, 90 to 100 million, you got players and you can you can do a lot of different moves. You don't have that right now. You're not going to do that. The one thing and I can't remember who said it um, on the panel during the trading deadline because I, I had for you, you know, you look who won the winter meetings in 2018. Dodgers, they didn't win, not winter meetings, the trading deadline. Dodgers won it in 2018 with Manny Machado. They don't win. 2019, it's the Astros with Grinky. They don't win. 2021, it's the Dodgers again, Scherzer and Trey Turner. They don't win. Then it's uh, Juan Soto and the Padres of Soto, Bell, Hader, Drury. They don't win. It's really the teams that add to the fabric of their team. You don't alter your team. You don't, and you know, I'm not saying going out and making a big splash is not a big deal and it can't help you win the World Series, but what we have seen lately, it's the teams that just add some pieces, some guys that you don't think are going to be like the the biggest deal. What was the guy's name? 2018 um, for Boston. Right-handed hitter, wasn't a, who was the guy? He ended up being the biggest. Uh, he was huge for them in the postseason well, in the World Series. Right before you mentioned that, I was looking. I was like, who got traded in 2020? We'll get to that in a second because I know it was a shortened season. But there were trades that still happened. Uh, what it have been? Steve Pierce. That's it. Oh, pirate great Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce, if you say 2018, who is the biggest name at the deadline? Not a human soul other than someone out of New England would stay old Piercey. He was big for them in the postseason. What do you do in the postseason? Uh, Steve Pierce came over from the Blue Jays. Uh, postseason 2018. He yeah, he hit 333 in the World Series with almost a 1200 yeah. OPS. The ALDS, he hit 333. Yeah, he, the three home runs in the World Series, that's all that mattered. At age 35. Steve Pierce, 2018. Not Manny Machado. Steve let's, Pierce. So he was acquired for. 2018 traded by the to the with cash to the Red Sox for Santiago Espinal. Who? He plays second base for them. Who? So cash was sent to the Red Sox too. And by the way, have you ever heard of a guy named Bob Costas? Yeah. Do you still do you have the Costas thing? I do. Yeah. Well, the trade deadline in 2020, Padres won the trade deadline. Clevenger, Rosenthal, all those guys they got from the Mariners. That's what they're saying in this. These 17s won the deadline. Who else got moved real quick before we get the Starling Marte to the Marlins? Yeah, that's right. those are those are really the biggest ones. So this is the down the Dan O'Dowd, former GM. This is his little pet project that he put together where he's talking about the game's changed, but really should it change this much? Where and I'm I've been given to giving you this at nauseum, but it really rings. I mean I've written it down, so we're not losing this anytime soon. But trade deadline, 2013 to 2022, prospects traded 573, impact players, guys that became really good players, only 3% of that 573. That's it. Guys that actually became players who actually played, just 10.8%. And then out of all those guys traded between 2013 and 2018, only 29%, almost 30, never spent a day in the big leagues. So 
three days in a row this has been brought up by the experts on MLB Network now. Like, when I first saw it, I, it, it floored me. I was like, wow. And I'm glad I had that reaction. I've written it down because, obviously, this means something. It's showing you horde prospect. Always think about the future. But it's like, okay, but the data doesn't say doing that is going to work. What did Bob Costas have to say? Say I'm strongly surprised. And to the point that, okay, uh, Steve Cohen can afford to go beyond the luxury tax to an extent that exceeds some teams' payrolls, and now he can afford to eat huge portions of Scherzer and Verlander's contracts. But the idea that that is in an equal exchange for prospects, Dan O'Dowd pretty much laid this out this week on MLBN. What a relatively small percentage of prospects, even prospects highly rated, turn out to be true impact players or even useful everyday major leaguers who have significant careers. And a large percentage of them never play a game in the major leagues. So the idea that there's another Verlander or there's another Scherzer lurking somewhere there. Now, in fairness to the Mets, they did get two of the top 15 Ranger prospects in the deal for Scherzer. I get that. But nonetheless, the idea that even by 2025, They'll be able to reconstitute a team that rivals the team that less than a year ago finished the season with 101 victories. That's pretty much of a stretch. That's Bob Costas. Have you heard of him? Friend of the program. Friend of the program. Yeah, this is baseball's getting strange, man. It's getting strange because the unknown and the future is now more important than the known and the now. Does that make sense? I, when I say it, it sounds weird. Does that make sense? It does, and the reason why and I don't want to I'll, – I'll save it. Well, let me explain it. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait till after. So what they're trying to do is they're always worried about prospects. They're having me prospects. What's your farm system? It's the, pro, it's the future. I can't trade prospects. It's all this prospects. Pro, and what Dan O'Dowd came out and said, well, you guys are saying all this, but the, the, the data says most of these guys will do zero. Zilch, nada. Very few will help you. But yet, us, the baseball fans, are always being sold now. Our prospects are here. Where the A's are, prospects mean everything. Because that future. future is everything, <laughs> right, for us. But if you're a team like we have been, like, I didn't care what you're trading for if that's to help win the World Series this year. And right now, you're just starting to wonder, is everybody starting to play from the same playbook to where I didn't agree with what the Mets did or what the Padres have done, but at least they did something and they went for it. Like, what happens if everybody stops going for it and everybody is playing like, I want to win, but I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about my future, but I also want to win. What if we're all in this dance where no one really wants to go for it? Let's just let it play out. Playoffs is a crapshoot. I'm so worried about my future, future guys. It That's not exciting. There's no sizzle on the stake there. That scares me for our game. The first thing I thought of. I'd rather you try and go out and win the Super Bowl. I'd rather you go out and try and win the NBA Finals or the Stanley Cup Final or the World Series. I, I, I do like that. I do. Have, that's one thing. 
there's one thing that no matter what, if you criticize our front office, there's no way you can ever say, if the A's are in it, they're not making deals. The A's have always made deals, always made deals to try and help the team in the postseason. Always. And I respect the hell. I mean, how do you not respect that? You cannot. David Force has been a part of this for a long time. Billy Bean's right-hand man during those years, it's now his ship. He will tell you, always, always, always the A's tried to improve at the deadline or through the waiver wire process, always. And now these teams are like, I don't know, I want to have my prospects. And you're like, okay, I get it, and that can work. How about Houston? Houston's a great example. Houston did that, but now that Houston wins, Houston's all in. Once – once, once Houston tasted, once they tasted the winning, once they tasted what it's like to win a World Series, you're addicted to it. It's why the Yankees, I hate the Yankees, but I respect them because they're addicted to the winning. They're addicted to winning the World Series. You know, they haven't been able to win it since 2009. They've spent billions trying to get back. I respect that. They're addicted to winning. They're, once you taste it, right, once the Astros tasted it, they're willing to hate them all you want. They were willing to risk careers to make it happen. Just and, like just like the PED guys, what what are you telling me? No, no, no. I'm just I'm, I'm waiting for you to finish because it made me think of what I told you about earlier with I don't the Astros model and the Orioles. You're going to give me some minor league guys. Well, I'm going to tell you how Jeffrey. Everyone criticizes what the Astros and how the cheating scandal. Yeah, sure. And Bob Costas mentioned that with Mad Dog. Like we, you know, that was how many years? six years ago now, and they've won since. Well, but with the Astros, but the point is, before you get to your minor leaguers, they were willing to use cameras. Correct. Guys were willing to take drugs, not party drugs. They're willing to take performance-enhancing drugs to get better, to make money, and to win. Like, these people are, they're willing to, guys are willing to sacrifice it all. Sacrifice it all. Right or wrong, I'm not trying to play the judge. I'm not trying to play the jury. I'm just telling you facts. Certain people are willing to do anything to be successful, and those people are hard to beat. The only thing that's beat people like that is drug testing because they're out there winning, and it's the drug testing that gets them, right? What's his name who beat Carl Lewis, the Canadian? Ben Johnson. The only thing that stopped Ben Johnson was the steroid test. People are willing to do anything to win, and people who have that mindset – I've been in sports my entire life. People who are willing to do anything to win, you may call it pathetic, whatever, but they're tough to beat. People are willing to put snot on the ball. You put snot. People are willing. I don't got an arm like you do. (laughs) People who are going to put snot, spider, where's Eno Saris, whatever that, (laughs) jalapeno juice, whatever, cork my bat, Put uh, Ray Fossey forgot. God bless you, Ray. Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey was hurt in Cleveland. They went out there with binoculars. Remember you told that story? Wow. They'd have the sock on the one hand, guys with binoculars. Whatever. They'll do anything to win. Those people are tough to beat. And that's who the – once the Astros tasted it, 
They were addicted to it. They're addicted to it now. Who was their number one? They just the guy they traded for Verlander was just picked. He was their number last, one last pro- year. Yeah, Drew he, Gilbert. He was just picked. Yeah, and then their the guy the other guy they traded was a another outfielder who would have I guess he was number four, but he was going to move up to like two or three in their rankings. They just another traded outfielder. their first rounder. Yeah, remember for a while they didn't have any first rounders because they got them taken from him from cheating. Well, I, and you can't even count this year's draft because those first rounders just sign. Yeah. What, what's could you trade a guy that fast? A guy who's just signed? I don't know how it works, but I thought that the um, – Do you have to – does he have to have a little – anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I thought the Angels did it once in the winter meetings a couple of years ago. They traded the guy that they drafted in the first round like months prior, and they traded I think I think well, there that's, some, I, I'm talking about within like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't know if that's – I mean – This isn't the, 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 the National Football League. Or, the draft was just at the All-Star break. This remember, is, you can't trade draft picks, Colin Coward. Yeah, Colin Coward. My God. <laughs> You've never – and the way he tried to hide it was like, well, you know, I'm a casual baseball guy. You're a sports broadcaster. They've never traded draft picks in baseball. Never. <laughs> and he literally, and, and the, his sidekick. Jason McIntyre. Was agreeing with him the whole time. Oh, yeah, I'd give up three first-round picks for Otani. What? All right, don't give a but, you, but, yes, the Drew Gilbert, the guy that just got drafted last year. This is where we are with the – the Astros are done playing that game. How they were built, they're done playing that game. They're now the business of, wait a minute. We're we're not ha- – James Click, the guy they fired, pretty much allowed Verlander to go and allowed Kendall Graveman to go. Jim Craden, the owner, has brought him back. But now they're playing the money game. Where Costas was interesting is the fact that the Mets are using money in a way we've never seen before. I'm going to go out and guarantee all this money. And then when it doesn't work out, I'm going to get rid of these players and I'm going to pay you an amount that makes you have to do the deal. Like this is business. I'm going to, I'm going to make you an offer. It's like the mob. I'm going to make you an offer. You can't refuse. And so can you imagine you're sitting there, you're, you're Dana Brown, you're Houston or you're Chris Young in Texas, and you go, okay, let me get this straight. You're going to pay me, which, which could be $54 million for Verlander, and i got to give you two guys who've never played before? The money has now trumped the, the, the prospects. I agree, yeah. Right? The money has trumped the prospects. Like, the money is like, oh, your prospects are cute. I'm going to give you $54 million to take Justin Verlander. That's if his his option vest will be $54 million. That's insane. So we're now, and for I'm New York, I'm getting under the luxury taxes, so I'm saving myself money here. There now, the money has become irrelevant. And there's people, like there's baseball people go, oh, my God, look, they got prospects. They paid for prospects. Um, they did. Yes, they did. But really, but they did it under the salary or the luxury tax. Yeah, it really was CBT. It's really, like a bargain. It really is. Baseball people don't like to deal with the business side of it because it really is. I saved it all on the baseball. I saved it all on the luxury tax, and I got two prospects in return. That's crazy. Yeah. But they, but they're now using money. Money is now. They're they're going to like the they're going to like the local market like back in the day, you know, and they're the big swingers going. We're going to move money all around. 
That's what they're going to do because money now is no object. So they don't care about big leaguers. They don't care about prospects. They can move whatever around because all these other teams will be like, you're going to give me all this money? Yeah. Can you imagine wheeling and dealing if you're the Mets and this is how you're going to go about your business from here on out? You can go to the Met, you can go to the A's, you can go to the Royals, you can go to anybody and say, hey, I'll throw an extra $30 million in there on that. And there's nothing in baseball that stops you from doing that. So I can just start throwing cash around because we don't care about cash. Cash is just money. So that's their big thing. That's the, that's the new wave. You want to hold on to your prospects. It's like the whole Otani thing when everybody's like, oh, my God, you got to trade Otani and restock your system. No, they don't. They can make all this money off Otani, let Otani go, and then take this money and go buy prospects the way the Mets did. This is the new, the new way to do it. I can't raise them. I'll buy them. What I learned from this after watching the Verlander trade, uh, just don't trust Houston. Like Billy Bean back in the day like, in Moneyball? Don't trust him because well, when they traded – here, let me give you three names. When uh, Jeffrey Luno acquired Verlander from Detroit, here's who he gave up. Uh, Franklin Perez. Who? Uh, Mike Cameron's son, Dak Cameron. He's not Mike Cameron. Sorry, Daz. And uh, Jake Rogers were the big three guys that Detroit got back. Uh, how many uh, World Series trophies or MVPs, Rookies of the Year, Cy Youngs, all-star games of those you know guys what? reached. You know, you know what will be a better point? Go look up the Detroit Free Press and look how they tried to sell the trade. Go. Google, look it up. See what they say. See how they tried to sell it. Because they might. Because this is what happens, right? You traded Verlander, very last minute. Verlander, Kate Upton, his fiance at the time, talks him into the deal. She was right. You talk about you know, your future wife helping you in business. She was right. And she makes more money than he does anyway. Uh, oh, that's right. He was a waiver. He trade. was a waiver. That's it's right. the very last minute. He was he was claimed on yeah. waivers. He it went down and it was Kate Upton who said, This is a no brainer. Don't you want to win the World Series? Kate Upton knew. Supermodel actress extraordinaire. She prints money, by the way, from what I hear. I'm just I'm trying to read through what they wrote on it. It says like Perez considered to be one of the top Astros two pitching prospects. He's still Look early how in his they development. sell it. Look how they sell Number it. Number four prospect in baseball by Baseball America at the beginning of the season. I think he's out of the game. His prospects are great. Look how they sell it. My uh Dak uh Das Cameron, uh, an outfielder whose tools are yet to advance past class A baseball. Then they mentioned how he's the son of Mike Cameron. Ooh. And then uh, Jake Blood Rogers. Lines. Jake Rogers is a young catcher who's yet to advance past a ball. So let's see, Franklin Perez. Where's he at now? I don't. I think he's. I'm pretty sure. I think he's out of base. So, Verlander helps you win the 2017 World Series. Verlander would play in what? Two other. He played in what? Four World Series for them. Uh, Seventeen. What year they lose? They were in four. Yeah, in six years yeah. they were in four. Yeah, he was. He was in four. Yeah, one, two. So Verlander helps you get to four World Series. He wins two, wins two Cy Young awards, and all you had to give away was a bunch of guys who would never play, would never do anything in the big leagues again. It. What kind? Of, who? Who do you think won that trade? Yeah. The Astros. Yeah, but back then there would be people who would try and sell you that the Tigers won that deal. 
Because, but Verlander's aging, Verlander's cost a lot of money, all that kind of stuff. Who won that deal? The Astros. And yeah. I, I'm sorry for disrespecting Franklin Perez. He's 25 years old, and he's pitching in uh, rookie ball right now for Detroit. 25-year-old in rookie ball, he's and never, you got Verlander. He's never advanced past. Uh, he's pitched in seven games in A, and he was one of the top 60 prospects in baseball. Uh, I don't. By know the way, if the Tigers would have kept Verlander, they would have been better off. Why? Because they financially would have made more money. They would have had more butts in the seats. They things life would have been way better for Justin Verlander to stay in Detroit, be an all-time Tiger, have him be celebrated. Beautiful Tiger Stadium. Love that. I love Tiger Stadium. No, no, it's called Comerica now. Um, put a statue of him out in front. That would have been far more valuable than taking a bunch of nobodies who end up being nobodies, and he goes on and does everything that he has done. Daz Cameron's in the minors for the uh, Orioles right now. Uh, Jake Rogers is playing for Detroit as we speak. 0.4 war, does have 13 dingers, 104 OPS plus. So not bad, but that that's it. That's the only thing you got right now for Verlander. I think the Astros won. Yeah, but a, it brings a, me to my a point. A guy who's hitting 216. Brings me to my point about Stop. the – Jack Flaherty goes from the Orioles. Michael Elias, disciple of who? Jeffrey Luno. And here's the guy. Here's where the guys they got in the deal are in the Cardinal system. They now rank ninth, twenty third, and it's in somewhere twenty uh, sixth. What do you? I don't even know what you're talking. Those about. are the three guys that the, the Orioles gave up for Flaherty. So yeah, well, by the, the way, Orioles could pitch. Flaherty could pitch them straight and deep into the playoffs, and you got three guys you don't even know if they're ever going to pitch in the majors. Flaherty six innings today got the win for Baltimore over the Toronto Blue Jays. Ben Verlander, brother of Justin Verlander, said to our guy, and I know A's fans don't like our guy anymore, and we accept that. We're we're going to understand that. Our, our fan base and some of our friends of the program are not going to get along. Fair, yes. They're not going to go with what the what, what the what certain parts of the fan base want. They're not going to agree with them, so we're going to have issues. They made a song about it, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Um, but Mad Dog had Ben Verlander on, and Justin Verlander, would he had the no trade, would have agreed according to his brother, to go to the Orioles. Orioles, who have a ton of prospects, were not looking to unload prospects. they rather go with Flaherty, maybe a brilliant deal, but they rather have gone with Flaherty for lesser prospects than what they were going to have to give. And we don't know what the deal is, how much cash was involved, but obviously... Your Baltimore, who hasn't wanted to take on a lot of cash, now that we can play hindsight here, 2020, they were looking to pay a lot of Verlander's deal. You could have got, if you were Baltimore, essentially if if the option vest for Verlander, they were willing to pay $54 million of the deal. And you got to pay like 22 or 23 And... You only had to give up two prospects. Might have been your best prospect and another one of your best prospects, but is Verlander worth that to you as a team right now who won again today and the Baltimore Orioles right now have a two-game lead over Tampa in the 
AL East. But how we're going to view it is Baltimore views their future as more important than their present. Yes. Kind of like Al Davis. That you said the they, greatness is always in the Raiders' future. You said they beat Toronto, right? They beat Toronto today. Yeah. I J- believe Jack Flaherty six innings. I believe now, I have the number. I heard it on a, I heard it on Farron's show with uh, Jim Duquette Power Alley. That let me find it. This was yesterday, so I think it's now two and fifteen. The the Blue Jays are two and fifteen versus the Orioles and Red Sox this year. They're eight and twenty nine versus the AL East. Well. Jack Flaherty today, six innings, eight strikeouts, one earned run. Baltimore beats Toronto six to one. Toronto has now lost 23 of 31 divisional games in 2023. Only the Rockies and who have been worse in division. Boy, I, I hate to bring them. I'm going to say uh, the A's. How would you even guess that? I, you're like you're you're a genius. Because I know the Pirates aren't that bad. But you're a genius. You're a baseball genius. Pirates are using my first guess with everything, but apparently it wasn't. Okay, there. for 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 double jeopardy, Alex Trebek, what is the ra- the A's record in division for an extra two hundred? Well, if they're if the Blue Jays are eating whatever they are, six and thirty-three. I don't think they played that. Uh, we played that many division games. Yeah, yeah it's a little high. Six and twenty-five. Close. Five and twenty-six. Oh wow! You were a little <laughs> high on how many games they. Have. We got we got some time to go here. Five. We're five and twenty-six in the West. Oh, five okay. We, we we won an opening night versus the Angels. That's one. Wow! <laughs> I didn't think about that game. Can you name the games the A's have won in division? We had to beat Seattle. Go to the old calendar here. Well, here, I can tell you right now what our record is. Uh, The A's this year, here's what our record is. Against the Houston Astros, we're 1-9. Wait, hold on. We got to figure this out here. One opening night against the Angels. We're we're 2-5 versus the Angels. Yeah, I want win. So we won opening night against the Angels. Then uh, one in Texas Friday on April 21st to start the series. One in Texas, 5-4. That's two wins. Swept in Seattle. Oh, back beat Texas again on a Friday of a four-game set, 9-7. It's three wins. Beat the D-backs. That doesn't count. Uh, oh, they're, hey, by the way, they're struggling. Where are we? God, you got to forget all this season's gone by. Oh, we got the – oh, that's the Rockies. Houston. Now he – oh, beat Houston on a Saturday. Four to one. Is that it? No, you're forgetting a win somewhere. Uh, Nope, I went through them. We beat Texas twice, Houston once, L.A. twice. Which L.A.? Angels. Well, clearly not the Dodgers. They haven't won yet. Okay, we won. We, we we lost two out of three to the Angels at home to start the right season. There. First game in LA. I did first game. Oh, so that's two oh, then. Where's right there, it? right next after Texas. In oh, April. okay, there it is. There's uh, your wins. Uh, A's zero and seven versus the Mariners. There you go. There's your wins. The Mariners are like the. I mean, remember how was it last year? The, 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 what was the record against the Mariners? Oh, last the Mariners! Year? You told me the Mariners were a great team. Mariners are. Uh, 
56 and 52. Six and a half games back. What's your Diamondbacks record? My they Diamondbacks were 15 games over at one point, right? Are 57 and 53. My new team, by the way. <laughs> what's their song? They they have a song that they play when they they put the W. Fly up. the W. Yeah. Oh, my go Cubs, Cubs go. Go Cubs go. I'm a huge Cub fan now. Staying in it, baby. Me and Cody Bellinger. Smoking weed and winning games. Curse of the Goat, Harry Carey. Let's do this. Baseball season's underway. This what they play? Yeah. It is the Midwest. Father W. You, you forget Chicago is the middle. Go Cubs, go. Go Cubs, go. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. Go Cubs, go. It's, it's nice. Go safe. Very Midwest. Very well, Midwest. Well, I thought we already. I mean, go Cubs, go. What are we doing here? I'm, I'm off track here. We have caught safe at the top of the hour. But remember. We have a we have a favorite song and it starts like this. Meet the Mets. Politically incorrect. Meet the Mets. Yes. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those home runs over the wall. These five I like the songs. You know, by the way, you know. Like the whole bring your wife, I don't think that's going to play in uh, modern day. Do they still play this at Mets games? That's a good question. In the Bay Area, I think we would have a, um, I mean, we love to. Uh, Ray Jensen, if you're listening, he's the uh, resident Mets Do we? St- do they still play that at yeah. uh, at, at City Field? Uh, bring, we- hey, listen, as a man, you can bring your wife to the game. <laughs> uh, Is that going to fly? Wow, uh, they're going to fly we, out here. We even played to Steve Cohen. We have to, we have to get that at some point. Oh, yeah. Can we play it right now? Sure. This is okay. So I, I'm i cruising around uh, websites last night, and not the websites all of you. I, I cruise around baseball sites, what you people are doing on your private time. All I know is I woke up at, I woke up to go to the bathroom the middle of the night. I look, and I have an email from you at 2.03 in the morning talking about Steve Cohen. I'm like, what yeah. the hell? Well, I mean, that's that's what I do at night. <laughs> So you don't have to. I do all the stuff that you don't want to have to look at. You don't want to. That's what I. That's what I get paid to do. So yeah, this is what I do at two in the morning when I can't. We got to realize after the post game show, I'm juiced. I've had coffee. I'm fighting with callers. I, I I'm ready to rock. It's well, like, last night you were fighting with Jason Hayward and Kirby Sneed. I heard that's what I was listening to. Folks, this guy keeps keeps. How, he didn't say anything today. He, this guy is just mad. You guy, when we're talking about the trading deadline, it's like the number one thing going in sports, right? Oh, my God. You're not talking about the A's. You're not talking about Kirby Sneed. Why are you? And it's just Kirby Sneed, Kirby Sneed, Kirby Sneed, and then Kirby Sneed, first pitch. Whack! Out of the Jason Hayward. I'm like, yeah, that's why we're not talking Kirby Sneed. If you're buying a Kirby Sneed jersey, good luck to you. By the way, he was a 30th reliever the A's have used this year. Good luck to you. So, anyway, this is what I do late at night. I found this, and I find it fascinating. This is the owner of the Mets. Hedge fund, $16 billion man, Steve Cohen. 
He's not even pl- – I don't even know what game he's playing anymore. He's not playing the free agency game. He's not playing the prospects game. He's just playing the I got a lot of cash, and that's how I'm going to maneuver around baseball. Go ahead. I'm opportunistic, okay? I mean, uh, I don't, I don't want to roll a team out there that we're going to be embarrassed by. But, saying, you know, I, but we also know that, you know, spending a fortune, you know, everyone says I spent a lot of money, and other teams did too, doesn't guarantee you – uh, a trip to the playoffs, and so I think we got to you know look and see what we need. Obviously, we're going to need starting pitching, and and we're going to have to, and that's the key thing. Other than that, we we got our core right. The the, the you know the, the baby Mets are going to be a year older, so I, you know I, I'm not as negative. Okay, I mean it, it won't be a, as as star-studded team as it was, but uh, you know you know star stars don't necessarily make make for wins. Now, you wonder why I can't sleep because it was like a flashback of John Gruden. John Gruden trades Khalil Mack, and a week later at his press conference goes, you know how tough it is to find a pass rusher. He literally just said, well, we're going to have to find some pitching. You just traded Verlander and Scherzer, but you're going to need pitching. Okay. I watched that last night. You wonder why I don't sleep. I was like, you're talking about, uh, and once again, folks, he is right. The one thing he is right, and something that A's fans have always complained about, money doesn't buy you anything. It doesn't. He spent the most money in the history of baseball and punted his team four and a half months later. April, when? April, May, June, July. Four months later. And they're also in he fourth. punted. He spent the most money over three hundred and thirty million. Four months later, he's punting the team. But he's not punting the team the way normally he does. He's spending money to get rid of the players. He's saying, "Hey, Houston, you want Verlander? Hey, oh no, no worry. I'll give you a ton of money for you to take him. Just give me some prospects. Hey, Texas, you want Scherzer? Yeah, yeah. Here, we'll give you a bunch of money. We'll pay for the majority of it. Just give us some prospects." He's move, he's maneuvering around the league, not with humans, but with cash. See, baseball normally, and all sports normally, basketball's more like this. Because basketball, I might be giving you bad contract, guy's a free agent, contract goes away, right? You're moving contracts. You're, you're technically moving money. Steve Cohen has now decided that everybody in baseball is so cheap and worry about prospects that he's just going to move cash around. And everybody's going to be like, ooh, cash. Because that's what he did, right? I'll move, I'll move the human beings, but I'm really moving money. He's playing. He's really, by the way, he's really playing money ball. This is really money ball. Because it's this uh, prospects, great players. Nah, he's moving cash around. This is a big money player. Is it going to work? I don't know. But this is really money ball, and it's pretty fascinating. Because he's just, it's just, it's its its like a guy at a strip club with a lot of ones and he can do whatever he wants and no one's going to stop him. That might be a horrible analogy. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. No, he's putting together a team with cash. And now he's talking about, he went from over $330 million to talking about the baby Mets. Ball explodes off his back. I mean, how about that? Who's a baby on the team? He went, he went. Not the catcher, Francisco Alvarez. Uh, Lindor's not. The DH? Uh, uh, How about your DH? Uh, Pete Alonso's not, not that young. Your boy Vogelbach. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, Luke Voigt just opted out of his minor league deal. God, I would love to see him playing for the A's. So, uh, I, I, it's, I, I, we're going to follow this. Whether If you don't think it's fascinating, you're crazy because this, this is really money ball. He's just, he's just going to – this is like playing stock market. He's just going to move stuff around. It's all going to be cash. It just, just happens that the humans are going with the cash, right? Old human, send cash, give me younger human. I mean, that's – but he's moving money. That's the big thing. It's the money. It has nothing to do with the players. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see if it works. And think about Houston. Houston's like, because Jim Crane's rich. And Jim Crane's like, you're going to give me how much to take Verlander back? Fifty-three. It's like $53 million to take Verlander back. You're going to imagine the A's. Hey, A's, we want your top three prospects. We're going to give you Verlander. We're going to pay $54 million of it. You'd be like, well, yeah. Makes sense. That's crazy. To where the guy in San Diego, he's playing dumb money ball. Peter Seidler. He's using his own personal wealth to guarantee these contracts that are not working. That's not smart money ball. Steve Cohen, super rich guy. He's just floating the cash out there like it's It's only worth like $16 billion. Stop saying he's super rich. Is that not enough for you, $16 billion? No. He- well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, you can watch him weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the best baseball show that there is on MLB Network, MLB Now. Plus, MLB Network's got the Phillies, the Marlins, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, our athletics, and the Dodgers tomorrow. But check out BK every morning, 9 a.m., BK, it is great to have you on once again. And the day after the trading deadline, I have to say, I missed you this morning on television. I know. Uh, well, Angels and Braves knocked me off. So, um, yeah, sorry. But you've, you've got me. In you have, I'm actually doing MLB tonight this evening. So you have first shot at me today. What is, since we didn't get it this morning and before we get it tonight, what's the main thing for you? After the deadline comes and goes, what was the number one thing you're hot on? Uh, I mean, there's no question. The failure of the Mets' big money experiment. Uh, You know, no matter what we thought of the team, and it wasn't just that the money, but it was coming off a very solid first year with Buck Showalter and that crew. It's the first, uh, it's kind of the culmination of that first phase of the Steve Cohen ownership. Uh, the big push, uh, you know, to get big and be a big market player. And then all the money spent where that's the largest payroll in history. And it's the largest payroll now by a wide margin. And we're talking like, with the exception, I think, one year of the Yankees about 20 years ago. There's no one who's been as far out ahead of the pack as this year's Mets. For them to be the main players and the main sellers on deadline day, is stunning. I mean, there's no bigger story. Even with the, I mean, look, the Cardinals, you, we're, we're stunning fall, right? The White Sox, yet again, not stunning, but another puzzling sort of never came together. And then the Padres, Padres and Mets are together in that malaise, the kind of the new National League malaise watch, where they just can't get over themselves or past themselves. Uh, but the Mets are the ones who sold, and that's the biggest story of the trade deadline. I agree 100%. We, we were told the Mets were going to be different, and it feels like the Mets are back being the Mets before Steve Cohen. And what I think people don't realize, we're just not talking about the largest payroll in the history of baseball. We're talking about the largest payroll in the history of American professional sports, 
and to dump it at the deadline, unreal. But that affects us out in the ALS, BK, because now you got Scherzer and Verlander, and it's the battle of Texas. It's the battle of the ALS. I think Verlander, the Astros were just in town. They were talking about how they've just missed him. They've missed the bravado. They've missed the dude. Talk about how Verlander comes to Houston, and and we love Kendall Graveman too, but you bring Verlander to Houston, and boy, does that start to change everything. Well, you know, Verlander is still quite good, and it does tilt the balance of power somewhat because the teams at the top are fairly even. Uh, I, I don't think there's some runaway best team out there, and so I, I think it, it, it tilts the odds a bit. Verlander has diminished somewhat, which makes sense. He's 40. I did a whole essay on it yesterday. Uh, same thing with Scherzer. Uh, look, there's a reason why the Mets failed. Uh, Verlander missed the first month of the season. By the time he pitched, there were five games out. By the time he pitched his ninth game, he had a 4.50 ERA, and they were 12 and a half out, and it was over. So, you know, Verlander was not the solution. So, as much as we can, you know, he's, he's quality. You add, look, you add Lucas Giolito, you know, to your rotation, uh, which the Angels did. You're going to get better just by the virtue of a good pitcher takes a spot and everybody can move down one. That's certainly going to happen with the Astros. Verlander's still quite good. I know he's got a 1-5 ERA last seven. Yeah. But and it, his velo is still good. But he and Scherzer are both reaching back to get that. They're gamers. They're, they're, they're Hall of Famers. They're intelligent. They use their intellect. They use the latest tools. They've got everything, but they're old. And so they're straining to get there. They're reaching back for something extra. The spin rate for Verlander is not the same. I did a whole thing on it yesterday. His action on his pitches aren't as good. He's still smart. He's going to get through. He'll still be good. But, again, this is a, you know, it's an older 40-year-old Verlander. It's not like you're getting – I don't know, you know, Randy Johnson was when he suddenly, you know, was traded and you have like the, you have the, the elite killer on the mound. This is a good pitcher. He definitely changes things, but it's not the same guy that we saw in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, Randy Johnson to the Astros back in the day where he went 10-1 and and was unhittable. Let's switch over to the Rangers. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, you get the reliever Chris Stratton, who can help you a lot. Austin Hedge is the catcher because Heim is out. They need a little depth there. And also Max Scherzer, what would you think about the haul for the Rangers? Yeah, no, look, that helps them a lot, clearly. Uh, they needed arms. You know, as I said, like, it, it, it's, I'll bring it back to like Giolito. It's obvious when you look at the Angels, you're like, just to get a quality arm, it makes such a difference. For Texas, especially with Evaldi hurt, Evaldi's on the IL, um, most of their pitchers are right around league average or a little lower. Dane Dunning is overperformed. John Gray's been quite good. You know, Martin Perez, you know, was great last year. He hasn't been great this year. Andrew Heaney is league average. So there is some good, but it's not impressive. So you, you suddenly get a lot better. Just by virtue of now, if you have Dane Dunning or John Gray pitching a playoff game, they move down a slot. Evaldi's probably still going to be the ace. Because, again, Scherzer's diminished. Scherzer had a you – know, Berlander had a better year than Scherzer. Scherzer uh, really has not been the same this year. And he is reaching back to get everything he can. Uh, and remember, the last few years – you get to a playoff series, he's had a few times where he couldn't, he couldn't tow the rubber. You know, he couldn't make it. He has these injuries. He's breaking down. Um, he, he gets better. He's, I'm just saying 
just by the virtue of that staff not being elite, no DeGrom, obviously, um, he makes them a lot better, a lot more solid, and they're already an offensive machine. Just the whole three-way thing between the Mets, the Astros, and the Rangers, it's so complicated with the amount of money that the Mets are going to send to both these teams, the amount of money the Mets should come down with their luxury tax. It's really the whole thing's unprecedented. But if we get away from these three teams, who did you say at the deadline you go, I like that, it was smart, and they nailed it? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I, I'm looking at who didn't nail it. You know, and I have to, yeah. I, you know who got better. I would, I, I'd say the win. The, you know, the, I, I like that the Cubs. You know, held tough. Um, you know, I think the, the the Padres didn't do much either way, which is probably fine uh, because they already have their team set. They're just not winning, um, kind of inexplicably. I thought the you'd have to say the Astros are the winner. Uh, look, as much as I said that about Verlander, just to be, you know, kind of temper expectations, that's still a big guy to land. I thought the Cardinals didn't do it in the right way. I thought they, if they were going to get out, and look, they're, they're 47 and 60. I mean, they're, just, they're not a good team. So if you're there, you're 13 under 500. Excuse me, they're, four, they're 47 and 61. I missed the loss. I hadn't updated my page. They're 14 under 500. You know, they've got a 35-year-old Paul Goldschmidt and a 32-year-old Nolan Arenado who are both hitting. They both have an OPS plus of 125-128. So they have real value on the market. They're expensive. Goldschmidt you're only going to have for another year. The Cardinals have kind of a nice backbone of a team there, a young team. It's time to make a decision. You know, it's like like teams that try to say, well – we can't trade our top guys because they're so good. We can't trade our second guys because they're really good. And maybe our third-tier guys. And you have to tell these teams, wait a second, do you understand you're not a good team? Like, you know, <laughs> so if everybody's so good, if everybody's yeah. so good yeah. how come you're no good? You know, to paraphrase Moneyball. That's a, hey, if, if he hits so good, how come he doesn't hit good? That's, like, that's what this is. And the Cardinals are kind of saying, well, we don't want to – Cardinals and White Sox are both like, you don't want to trade our secondary guys. It's like, well, you know, you're losing. You're, you're not good. So don't hold on to everybody because they're so good. If they were so good, you, you wouldn't be losing. And I'm talking losing badly. I'm not talking about, you know, Padres are just under 500. It's not like they're bad. They're just not very good. Um, White Sox and Cardinals are losing badly. It's time to shake it up and try to, you know, to say, hey, it's not working. And they had these two assets. In the, the Cardinals had these two monsters. You know, Arenado and Goldsmith, people would love them on the market. Eloy Jimenez, I would, if I'm another GM, Eloy Jimenez is available. He's never quite bloomed for the White Sox. You, you get, I would give something real to get Eloy Jimenez, but they want to hold on to their players. And I guess that it's tough to face reality in real time, in the real world, to say this is clearly not working in a big way, and we must revamp. What do you say about teams that just – Head scratching. Like, I think about Jerry DePoto in Seattle. I think about Farhan, our good friend. Anytime I can kick the Giants, I'm going to take my opportunity. What the hell are the Giants doing? You know, I would just say, sometimes sometimes the doing nothing is a good thing. Uh, doing small things is usually more prudent than doing the big thing. The things that get you in trouble in baseball are the big things. Right, the big signings, the $300 million contracts, the aging players, the former stars, you know, trading for Giancarlo Stanton because you're in love with the power and want two big monster power hitters 
um, making a deal for Albert Pujols when he was clearly in decline. These are the things that become big problems. A lot of times you just keep, keep operating on the margins, make small deals, and obviously continue to draft and develop. Look, what did the Orioles do? They got Jack Flaherty hoping, hey, let's take, you know, let's try to add to our rotation. Otherwise, they're like, hey, we don't make big moves. We don't win the winter meetings. You don't even know we're at the winter meetings. <laughs> and uh, guess what? We have the best record in the league. So I, I, I do not punish a GM or not talk, you know, talk down on a GM who seemingly did nothing. Sometimes doing nothing is best. You know, when I think about our game, let's end on this. Why, why your show is so important is the fact for all of us in baseball who watch it, it really is an intelligent show. It's just not so many of these shows, we're just throwing up a bunch of graphics, we're showing highlights. You truly break down the sport in all in all the aspects it needs to be broken down in. Just what kind of responsibility do you feel being the host of that show, knowing that all of us are watching it and we all want a show like this that's more than just fluff and highlights? That's really nice of you to say, first of all. I, I really appreciate that. I hope there's a lot of you out there that do feel that way. Um, I look at it, and I, I've told our own people in our meetings, you know, on MLB Now, our producers, our researchers, everybody who works, our, our highlight supervisors. It's a real team effort. And I tell everybody, hey, this is a rare opportunity where we could get to do precisely the, the TV show we want to do about baseball. Like, so I look at it that way. I look at every night, I look to write something that I find fascinating. And there are tons of things to find fascinating about baseball. So I hope, and I've all, I, through my whole career, when I was at ESPN and now that I've been at MLB Network for 11 years, 12 years, uh, I know there's an intelligent baseball audience out there that wants this stuff. And it's not as flashy. It's not as sexy. I try to make it as fun as possible. You know, we laugh on the show. We have a good time. We're not there doing math class. But I know there's a, there's a lot of people out there that want to, like, you know, are wondering, scratch beneath the surface and tell us how things really operate. And let's talk about best practices and let's talk about, you know, human bias and emotions and big business and hedge fund baseball. I mean, it's fascinating. I, I take the responsibility very seriously that MLB Network has given me. Here's an hour. Do the show you want to do. And you guys listen to each other, which is always so key in my time being in radio and in television. So many times people don't listen to each other and they just want to fight to the death for their point. I've noticed everybody on your panels, they get it. You guys do listen to each other. And sometimes people will say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I need to rethink it. Just talk about, too, how it's a show where everybody learns and not everybody has to fight to the death to prove they're right. Well, I, I'm glad you said that because we have a thing now this year called the showdown. Yes, right? yes. And, and I, I bring somebody on to basically, all right, let's talk about the big topics. So let's duel on it. And I'll come off sometimes and you know, my producers will say, you know, you didn't really disagree with him on anything. And I'll say, well, he was right. He had good ideas. They're like, couldn't you push back? I go, no, I'd like to incorporate those new ideas into my ideas. <laughs> if someone makes a good point, I, I, like, I, like, I think it's stronger – you know, if you're saying that's a good point, we had Joel Sherman on yesterday, we have Bob Costas on, a lot of times it's, hey, that's a great point. Mad Dog even, Mad Dog Russo will be like, dog, you're right. It's like, you're, just, you're right. You have the right sensibility. I agree with you. So when you do disagree, you can say, okay, here's where you're wrong. And that's what, that's what it's fun. But there's nothing wrong with, hey, let's, let's really think this through, experienced baseball people, 
and let's come to a consensus on this. You know, it's all about, it is about trying to seek the truth of an answer, right? Get the best possible answer. And there's going to be enough arguments, but yeah, I, I've been down this road long enough now where I know, you know, you think you know, you don't know, as Jim Mora, the football coach, said years ago. You think you know, you don't know. And I'm not arrogant where I think, hey, we've got this sabermetric revolution figured out, and now everybody's thinking this way, and we were right all along. Just when you get, you, just when that happens, you go from one set of groupthink to another set of groupthink. And that's kind of where we're at now, where I'm doing, if you notice, like baseball-y and unbaseball-y plays. I think now that we all value the right things, plate discipline and on-base percentage and all these things and marking defensive metrics and that sort of thing. Um, it, the game is kind of like won and lost on these old-school baseball-y margins, taking extra bases, limiting extra bases defensively, having baseball awareness. Baseball awareness is kind of down now. Tools are up. Awareness is down. I think that's where the game is won and lost these days. At first time I, I saw the disclaimer for the showdown, I was rolling. It was hilarious. Uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> it, it means a lot we, we, when you come on. We love the show. We love what you're doing, and, and keep doing it. We got two months left before the playoffs, but it's a show that I look forward to every single day. So always appreciate your time. You be well, and let's do this again before the playoffs. Thank you for the kind words. Always good speaking with you. Thank you. Before we get to Robert Murray, got a surprise for everyone on Thursday. Robert Murray's fabulous, by the way. He, he, I can't wait to see what he has. When when Grichik is the best position player traded at the deadline, how do you feel? Well, let's add him. Is he here? He's here. Oh, there he hey, is. Yo, how are you? I'm great, man. I'm tired, but what a what a whirlwind of the last couple of days. How are you? Okay, so how do you feel? Like, do you feel like if you went to a buffet and this was the trading deadline, are you stuffed? Do you think, eh, I didn't love the selection? Where are you on this trading deadline? I would leave the buffet and I'd go find a different restaurant to go fill up again because this one left me pretty starved. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, I was asked earlier, and we've got pretty much all the moves written down, who I thought was the best position player to go. And Grichik, who the A's we just saw in Colorado uh, for three days, I would have to say as an all-around player, he is the best guy. You're not wrong. I mean, he's definitely primarily he's firm in, or firmly in that conversation. And that was basically the talk of all of these different teams is how weak that hitting class was. I mean, you're talking about Tommy Pham, Randall Grichuk, CJ Crone being like at the top of that list. And in years past, those would be like mid-tier guys. And these teams realized that those level of players were the top guys and they were asking for some really high prices. And that's why we didn't see that many deals uh, made in the last 40 to 72 hours. And it felt like at some point the, the dam was eventually going to break and it just did not happen. And I think the high asking prices, the weak hitting class and a few other different factors played into that and it had probably one of the weaker deadlines in recent memory. How much of it too was once, Otani was off the board. That just kind of changed the historical nature. Ex exchange took the sizzle out of the steak. Oh, and it absolutely did. Yeah, because I mean, we're talking about the greatest, or arguably the greatest player in Major League history, uh, possibly being on the market to no longer being on the market. And if the Angels did sell Otani, then we're talking about a, a bunch of their players being sold. And as soon as that ended up happening, and the Padres decided that they were not going to sell. Um, 
the writing was on the wall for this to be a pretty underwhelming deadline. And it, it, it definitely delivered in that way. It was, it was very underwhelming. I don't know if you're watching MLB network earlier, but they put up a graphic and you know, when guys are on television for a long time, like that's a long show, the deadline show. And you know, they're seeing a lot of different stuff and there's a lot of stuff in everybody's ear, but they put up a graphic that made everybody on the panel go, Whoa, I even went, oh, my God, I paused it, took a picture of it so I could write it down so I could present it to you because I wanted your opinion on this. Trading deadline deals from 2013 to 2022. Prospects traded 573. Out of the prospects of 573, only 3% of those became impact players. So if I said, you know what, Robert, give me your whole retirement. I'm going to invest your retirement, and you're only going to get this. Like, if we went through money and went, I could not, but, like, they all were like, is that true? Like, it just goes to show, or maybe we're just being sold this bag of goods when everybody says that, oh, you got to replenish your system, you got to go trade. If I'm replenishing the lake, I want great white sharks, I want bull sharks. I want hammerhead sharks. I don't want goldfish. And this stat right here and this thing says you're replenishing your system with a bunch of goldfish. If you're telling me 3% of all the guys traded since 2013 who are prospects at the deadline became impact players, what, what does that say to you? That says a whole lot to me, and it, it, it kind of reminds me of a Family Guy reference. I don't know if I can say that on the show. Yes, um, you can. Yeah, it's it, like it reminds me of when Peter Griffin had to decide between a boat or what was in a box, and he was thinking it could even be a boat. And it's like basically the boat is a sure thing, and the, the box is a lottery ticket, and these prospects are basically a big lottery ticket. And I'll tell you that I did not see that stat on the MLB network earlier today. That is a wow stat. And I think that is something that these teams have to take into account is these prospects, their lottery tickets, you don't know what they are. And when you acquire a major league player, you know, or you have a very good idea of what you're getting. Um, and maybe that played into account on some of these deals not being made. Or because there was a lot of players that I thought entering the day were going to be traded that were not traded. And maybe that played into it. Maybe it was the high asking prices. I don't know. But the fact that it was that low of odds for those prospects and those deals to make it, I think that says a lot. Who are the guys that you thought were going to get dealt that didn't get dealt? Oh, boy. There was plenty of guys. I thought somebody with the Yankees was going to end up going. I thought it was going to be Harrison Bader or Glaber Torres. There was buzz when I woke up this morning that Torres might have, might end up going. Um, I thought trying to think there was, I thought Eduardo Rodriguez was going to end up going uh, like that deal with the Dodgers was agreed upon. Um, but he did not end up going, uh, just because he ended up vetoing the trade with his no trade clause. Um, I thought there was, I thought Brent Suter was going to go with the Colorado Rockies here. Let me actually, I'll even pull up the list on my phone real quick. Um, I thought Clevenger was going to go. I thought Jose Quintana was going to go with the Mets. Uh, there was buzz that his market was heating up throughout the day, and I thought he could end up going. Um, I thought um, I thought Austin Barnes with the Los Angeles Dodgers was going to go because there's pretty significant buzz that the Dodgers 
are kind of moving close to moving on from him. And I thought that was going to end up being the time. And maybe they could do a similar deal with what the Pirates did with Austin Hedges and, and trading him for uh, international cap space. Yeah, I, it, it's when Gritchick is by far. I mean, then we, then, then we were like, well, you know, technically Jake Berger's hit home runs, but he's hitting, what did you say he was hitting, Cody, 217 or something like that? Uh, 214. 214. We're talking about a guy hitting 214. People like the damn. Uh, yeah. Just, just a and, shot. And also, actually, there's two others that I thought had a shot of getting traded today, too. They're actually with the A's. Um, I thought it was Seth Brown and uh, Tony Kemp. And Seth Brown, I had heard his name mentioned with a few different teams i heard the yankees and the astros uh were poking around there and i thought that had a shot of getting done but everything i heard from these rival teams was that the asking prices were absurdly high for him and the a's held him in very high regard in trade talks what it just seriously for for the direction that the a's are in the fact that seth brown's still here tony kemp's still here aletmus diaz is still here paul blackburn's still here uh, did I mention Tony Kemp? Like all these guys, it's like I, 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 I I'm shocked. As yeah. young guys are going to be coming, tr- you're going to have September call-ups going to be coming, and we got a bunch of veteran guys hitting 200. I, I, I if you could have moved them, and you're telling me word on the street is we were asking a lot for our veteran guys. Yeah, that's exactly what was happening, and I, I thought like. With the interest that Brown was getting, uh, especially from, like, as I said, the Yankees and the Astros were two of those teams that were poking around. You would think that he had a shot at going, but with those asking prices, it, it basically all these teams were like, we're not going to pay this. This is too much. And um, they, they could have gotten something useful for him in return for sure. And even then, like, uh, the switch knows for a second, some more players that I thought could have gone. If the Giants did not have uh, those injuries to their pitching staff, I was very confident they were going to be trading one of their starters or bulk guys. I thought Alex Wood was a perfect candidate for that. And I was even told a week before the deadline, he was likely going to be traded. Um, I would imagine his market would have been pretty extensive because he's been, he's been relatively solid in that bulk role out of the bullpen. And he wants to, he wants to be a starter. And I thought he would end up going, but those injuries prevented that. Now, I, I just want to let everybody know, the one thing about our veteran players, all those guys I just mentioned, a lot of them are in the lineup tonight, they're great people. And mm-hmm. I, I root for these guys to go play on teams who have a chance. And if I'm a veteran player, being on a team that's 30 and 77, if you're going to give me a chance to go win something, potentially a World Series, which is my childhood dream, People yeah. should want to let them go and to let them do that, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah, did you, you heard? I think you heard me uh, talk about the Giants. AJ Pollock, like you're the Giants, you have all this money. You, you, AJ Pollock, like that—that's the best you got. That, that, that blew my mind too. I thought they were going to be doing something more than that, and then they're. At the end of the day, they end up getting A.J. Pollock and Mark Mathias for cash, and that's the only move they make at the deadline. That is an extremely confusing deadline for me. I, I don't get it. I think, I mean, the, in the organization, they're they're optimistic that they can get something more out of Pollock than he showed in Seattle. Um, at least that's what they're, they're saying publicly. But on the surface, I don't know how you sell that to your fan base. Like, you're you're relatively competitive. You're in the, in the hunt for a postseason spot, and that's all you do. Um, does not make much sense to me at all. I know they're in the organization. They're they're 
talking about the guys coming back, um, specifically Kyle Harrison. They expect him to be debuting um, in the not-so-distant future. But as far as trade deadline acquisitions, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be really upset. The whole Houston Astros, what I've learned about Click and Crane, the division led to some guys leaving, Crane wanting guys back. I think you see two of them in Graveman and Verlander. I mean, when it's all said and done, I don't know when we'll really go back and look at it because the cheating scandal's over, but they're so dysfunctional. I was recently told by an Astros employee how they're just it's a it's still a miserable place to work. It's just is it just is it crazy how they continue to win despite all of their own dysfunction? Yeah, I'll tell you, I was I was actually talking to somebody about it the other day. And the fact that the Astros, despite switching GMs, despite switching managers and being years removed from it, and they're still competitive and they basically have not blinked an eye, at least on the field. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Have they gone about it like in terms of just in terms of where it was with Jeff Luno and now have they handled it like well um, or I want to how do I want to phrase that? They could, they obviously they've had a lot of blips in the radar throughout that, but they maintain being competitive. And I think they deserve credit for it because there's not many organizations who could have withstood that. Um, and when it comes to Justin Verlander, he, he's been there before and yeah. he clearly, he, he wanted to go back. Like that was a spot he wanted to be. And like just to go run through his market real quick, obviously the Dodgers were involved but they were never really optimistic. They were more pessimistic than anything about their chances throughout that entire thing. The San Diego Padres got reported today. That interest was totally overblown. They checked in just to see what the price was. They do that on every single player, um, and it never really advanced further than that. The Braves were always overblown. Uh, the Orioles, I think that actually did have some some merit to it. Um, I think they were firmly involved, but at, at the end of the day, it was basically the Astros or nothing. I think the Astros wanted him so badly that Verlander wanted to go to the Astros and that's how they got it done. And um, despite being in that culture before he wanted to go there again. Is it doing your due diligence in San Diego or does AJ Preller just want everybody to think he is on everything? He's he is in on everything. Oh, he is on everything. I, I can confidently tell you that it is, it is remarkable. I was, there was a team that I talked to early this morning um, and they said that, when you deal with Preller, you, you got to know that you, he has 15 other things going on and you, you got to be mindful of that. And he is, and he checks on everything. He has a pulse on everything that goes on throughout the league because he wants to know who's available, what the price is. And if there's an opportunity to add a player at a price that he thinks is good, he wants to pounce on it. And that's how exactly how he identified Garrett Cooper with the Marlins. Cause he was not mentioned in trade rumors once Scott Barlow. He was, a little bit, but not too much. And at the end, he ended up getting both those players. And immediately after those deals were made, I was getting text saying Preller does it again. And this is exactly <laughs> what he does. And I tip my cap because I don't know how he sleeps or if he sleeps, but I just marvel at his ability to, to constantly do this because there's no other executive in baseball who does it. I, I'm still shocked he has a job. I mean, all these years he's been in, he's punted, he's been in. He's. I mean, it's been – most guys wouldn't have this long of a leash. Speaking of a leash and 
Right now, I'm on fansided.com right now in your guys' baseball section, and it, a picture of Hein Bloom. Hein Bloom left Red Sox fans with disappointing. Um, how long does this guy continue to be able to operate the way he operates and to have one of the best jobs in baseball? That is a wonderful question. Um, the last two trade deadlines for him have been extremely confusing. It has been last year. It was like a mixture of buying and selling and it, it did not work at all, especially after trading fast guys, the Houston and facing him immediately. Like you could tell as soon as that trade was made um, that that organization or the players were not happy with it. And this year, you look at that roster and you could see Adam Duvall being a trade candidate. You could see Alex Verdugo, James Paxton being trade candidates. And instead they go out, they don't sell any of those guys and they go out and get Luis Urias from the Milwaukee Brewers, which I actually think that's a halfway decent move. Uh, he's a, um, he's, he's a high upside guy, super toolsy. He was a former top prospect with the San Diego Padres, but he's never really put it together quite yet. Yeah, he's hitting like um, 157 in 20 games, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, not great. That is definitely not encouraging numbers, to say the least. I, I, I don't think they're having like a, a rollout party with the red carpet when he rolls up to Fenway. No, gosh, no. <laughs> and with the interest that they got in Paxton and they got in Duvall, they could have gotten something – they could have gotten something meaningful in return. Philadelphia was firmly in on Adam Duvall throughout this entire process, wow. and they did not end up pulling the trigger on a deal. And that for a team that basically has little shot at winning the World Series this year, I thought Bloom should have ended up doing it and pulling the trigger on those deals, but he did not. And either he's going to miss the playoffs or it's going to be a quick exit in the postseason, and they're just going to be – you know, in the same spot as they were last year. And that just, it's, it's not great. And it makes you wonder about his job security long-term because that fan base in Boston is passionate. They booed him last year at, like, at a convention before the season started. And I can't imagine they're, they're as happy, or I, I can't imagine they're more happy than they were at that point either. I Is our game just in a weird spot? Like we're talking about the Red Sox. And then I'm now going to ask you about the Mets who – Garrett, who had the biggest payroll in the history of baseball, I believe it's the his biggest payroll in the history of American professional sports, and X amount of months later, they're punting. And man, remember where we were like at the winter meetings or just after the winter meetings, and Steve Cohen, and he's the super fan, and $16 billion. I was joking with my producer earlier Cody about oh he loves Seinfeld and Keith Hernandez was his favorite player and he's just like us he's the fan and then now they're like oh he might not compete till 25 26 just how weird is our game right now it's it's extremely weird and sticking with the Mets nobody in there nobody could have ever envisioned this happening with the Mets that was a team that on paper looked like the strongest candidate to represent the National League in the World Series. You had two Hall of Fame pitchers heading up your rotation. You had some other, some really solid starters rounding out that rotation. Had a lineup that was full of guys that was that are extremely talented that are led by uh, Pete Alonso and Lindor. And then a few months later, you trade your two Hall of Fame pitchers. They were listening to offers for Pete Alonso like that. That was real. Um, and that's crazy. Yeah, and 
the fact that Billy Epler and Steve Cohen were as open as they were with Verl or with Scherzer about not competing um, in 2024 and then aiming for 2025, that is shocking. That is probably the biggest 180 in recent baseball history. Like that is completely stunning. And it's left this game in a really weird spot. And considering the Mets is, uh, the Mets and the Padres is lack of success after they spent a zillion dollars in the off season. I wonder if that's going to dissuade these teams from spending that kind of money going forward and kind of doing what others, these other teams are doing. I thought those two teams spending as much as they did was awesome for the game. Um, not, it, it has not worked out. The Padres still to be determined. They continue to add at the deadline doing what AJ Preller does, but this Mets this entire series or season for the Mets might be the biggest disappointment in baseball history. It is, it's been that much of a failure. Well, keep doing what you do because you're one of the best we got in this business. And we always appreciate having you here on Ace cast live and let's do this again soon. Let's make it happen. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, have an awesome night. Take care. We get Chris Rose on the program. Uh, We should have him right now. Hello, Chris. How are you? It's Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris, how you doing? We just had Gene Tennis on. He's going into the A's Hello. Hall of Fame on uh, Sunday. And it's and it's so hard to believe there's only been two organizations in the history of baseball to win three straight, the Yankees and the A's. We haven't seen it, the Yankees, since late 90s, early 2000. Man, to repeat or even to win three now is even unthinkable. I'm wondering how he wasn't in the that already. Gene Tennis was a great player. Yeah. Good for him. That's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, listen, it's, uh, it's been a while since we've had uh, back-to-back, right? It's been yeah. since the Yankees won three in a row. So I think that's the longest stretch um, since the advent of the World Series where they've gone without, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're getting close on 25 years. So although the Houston Astros may have just uh, – help themselves out today to move a step closer there. Yeah, we're going to get into the trading deadline with you. I, I just had to say you had me rolling, uh, of course, following you on Twitter. And when you took some shots at your buddies at John Boy, the New York version of John Boy, uh, I, I just I, I just couldn't help but chuckle. How does it feel to be in last place? I just that was that was the best. You, you had to have fun hitting tweet on that particular tweet. Oh, I, I don't even remember having that happen. <laughs> Got to be honest with you. I've, I've moved on since then, so that's just the way it is. It's uh, We're all good here. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can tell you a lot of us out here, we've enjoyed seeing the Yankees in last place. And kind of, you know, you think about New York. You know, Chris, we just had the Mets dedicate more money to any 25, 26-man roster we've ever seen in the history of baseball and then X amount of months later, they punt. Now we see the Yankees basically don't do anything at the trading deadline. Just how odd is that, what we have seen heading up to this trading deadline with the two New York teams? Well, I think it's odder what the Yankees did than what the Mets did. The Mets tried to put together a really good team. I don't think there were a lot of us at the beginning of the season who said, yeah, they're going to be sub-500 at the trade deadline, so they're going to have to revamp their thinking. Now, you know, here's the deal. Max Scherzer came out and told Ken Rosenthal that that his meeting with the Mets brass 
basically made it sound like they're going to punt next year, that they're not going to do a deep dive into the free agent market and all that. To me, that's the question mark. Like, I understand why they traded Scherzer and Verlander and Pham and Robertson because they wanted to replenish their farm system to the point where they could be the East Coast Dodgers. I mean, remember, that's what Steve Cohen said essentially when he took over. He said, we want to be the version of them. We're going to have a high payroll, but we're also going to supplement it with an outstanding farm system. And they've got the payment part down. They have no problem spending money, but uh, they just haven't – they didn't feel like they had the depth uh, in their farm system like the Dodgers do, right? The Dodgers have had a ton of injuries to their starting rotation over the last two years, and they really haven't missed the beat because they've been able to go down on the farm and help themselves out. And the Mets, when they had injury issues or inconsistency issues, they haven't had that same sort of performance. Um, So that's why they did that. Now, for the Yankees – I don't get it. I mean, I want to hear their thought process on all they did was add a reliever, a middle reliever. It's, you know, they had to go one of two ways. They either had to say, all right, we are going to try and get some prospects out of this and whatever, or let's step on the accelerator and try and get a bat. Like they could have done a preemptive strike. They could have tried to trade for Cody Bellinger two weeks ago, but the Cubs went on this roll and they made him unavailable. And that would have been the best bat on the market presumably, but they didn't do it. And now they're kind of stuck in nowheresville in a really, really deep division. Well, I'm not an accountant, so I'm going to be curious to see when they actually really start to figure this out because it's about $85 million that the Mets have paid for Scherzer and Verlander to go away, but then they're going to get under their luxury tax money, which – Obviously, how that's all going to work out, I'm sure their numbers people are going to make it work. They're also getting a couple prospects, Acuna's brother, and younger brother, and also the number one prospect for the Astros. But the whole money thing will be interesting. But, you know, as much as everybody has talked about the AL East this year, this focus back to our division, which we always think has been fascinating in recent years, the AL West. And now we got the Battle of Texas. We got Houston. We got we got mm-hmm. uh, the Rangers. So the Rangers, they got Scherzer. They got Jordan Montgomery. They pricked. Uh, I, I kind of Chris Stratton is a pretty good pickup for them. A guy that can pitch in a lot of different innings, give you high leverage innings, and they need that in their bullpen. Kendall Grape, and then the Astros bring tr- two guys back. This kind of shows a little bit of the conflict with James Click and Jim Crane. But Verlander and Graveman coming back to the Houston Astros. What do you think about the Battle of Texas and what these two teams did? Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Um, Listen, Verlander has been on a much better role than Scherzer as of late. Uh, Verlander was kind of slow out of the gate, you know, and it took him a while to get going after an injury-like start to the year. Uh, Scherzer is is en route to arguably his worst season in a dozen years. Um, So we'll see if he can get it going in a new place. I think it's great for him that, that he's still very much in a pennant chase. Uh, I like it that, that the Rangers are all in, right? They've spent a ton of money in free agency over the last two years with the half-billion-dollar middle infield and then continuing to add to that with the likes of DeGrom and Evaldi um, and just continue to do it. 
I mean, why not? They've been out of the playoff picture for seven years now. So this that's great, and I think it'll be fun for baseball down the stretch if it's coming down to two teams from the same state for a shot at maybe having a bye or a team that's going to have to go on the road in the first round of the playoffs. I think it'll, it'll be fascinating. Well, it's kind of flipped kind of the playoff picture because at one point we were looking at like, well, there'll be a winner in the Central. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be your Guardians, but – there's going to be a winner in the Central. There's going to be a winner in the West. And then all the wild card teams are coming from the East. Not so much anymore when you look at this between the Rangers and the Astros. How about that AL East, though? Uh, at the end, Flaherty goes to the Orioles. Some moves made by the Rays. Uh, what did you think about the AL East here at the trading deadline? Well, I understand what the Orioles did. You know, they needed to get somebody that could give them some inning. And I think Jack Flaherty is still good enough to start a first-round playoff game. Um, I would have loved it if, it if Verlander had ended up there. I thought that would have been a ton of fun because that lineup's good enough to win the World Series, in my opinion. That bullpen is good enough to win the World Series. I don't know if that rotation is good enough to win playoff series, meaning several of them. Um, but it's a great opportunity for Jack Flaherty to increase his value as he heads into free agency. And, you know, the, the Orioles have so many prospects that, I, but I suppose that if they weren't, you know, Verlander controlled all the decision makers in this one. If he didn't want to go to Baltimore, then I'm not so sure what the Orioles could have done after that, right? Is Eduardo Rodriguez the answer? Maybe. He's had a really good year. He's a guy that would fit in and maybe even start game one of a series, possibly, depending on how he's pitching at the end of the year. But other than that, there's, you know, unless you wanted to go get a guy who has years left on his contract and, and isn't in the position to veto a trade, you know, was Dylan Cease an answer? Maybe. He's been up and down this year. He has certainly not been the guy that finished top three Cy Young a year ago. But I would have liked to have seen them get somebody a little who's had a better season or a better last few seasons than Jack Flaherty. You know, the analogy of trying to refuel the plane while it's in the air, if you've ever watched a video of that, it, it really kind of tells you, like, baseball teams trying to win and trying to replenish farm systems. It's such an interesting analogy. And you're in Los Angeles – and if you're a Dodger fan, and I say Lance Lynn, who, by the way, is going tonight against the Athletics, Joe Kelly, Rosario, Hernandez, Yarborough there at the very end right at 3 o'clock. If you're a Dodger fan and you know in the future you're looking to land Shohei Otani from your neighbors down south in Orange County, how do you feel about the haul the Dodgers got here at the deadline? So-so. I, I wouldn't feel great about it. The first four guys you mentioned, um, Rosario, Kike, Lynn, Kelly, combined negative war this yep. year. Uh, Kelly still, to me, is fascinating. He's a guy that can get himself into and then out of trouble with his arsenal. Uh, Kike and Rosario were the two worst defensive shortstops metrically. I know that, that Hernandez is a guy, because of his positional flexibility, it will really come in handy come playoff time. Right, if they need to 
pinch hit somebody, he can he can go somewhere uh, on the field other than just one position. So that's that's a big deal. Uh, Lance Lynn, that's the one I don't get. Uh, I know that he is striking out more guys per nine than at, at any point in his career. That's great. But other than that, all his other numbers are not bad. They're atrocious. His first <laughs> inning ERA is over 10. Yeah. So, you know, tonight's not going to be a great – I'm not here to take shots at the A's, but tonight's not a great barometer to see how he will do as a Dodger. Um, maybe they're just praying that they, he can give them enough until they know what they're dealing with with Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw and if Urias can get back going because right now this rotation, as good as the Dodgers are, is fairly unreliable. Well, I will say this. If you want to unveil them at home against a certain offense, I don't think it could be any better than him coming out against the A's tonight. I mean, his numbers against the eight, five and one with a two four one ERA. His last nine starts. This might be this might be Chris the perfect time to roll him out. I get it. I understand. But once again, uh, and uh, I w- I hope that the A's finish the season strong. In October, I will virtually guarantee it that the Dodgers will not face the A's lineup. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go go with that. It would be one of the greatest stories in the history of sports if it ever happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and then some. Uh, it, it, other than the Yankees, if you had to look and say, man, I'm surprised they did. Who, who would be, other than the Yankees, the other big disappointment for you at the deadline? Seattle. Seattle because, they, to me, they're still in this thing, right? They're only three and a half out of the wild card chase. And I say it because their their starting rotation is filthy. It is really scary. You get them in a short series, good luck. Um, so once again, you just have to you just have to make it. And I don't know exactly why they did what they did. I don't have a problem with them getting rid of Seawald. Really good reliever. They've got some other guys. Munoz is a kid that. It's just got nasty stuff and can throw a billion. But they needed to get guys that could help them instantly. And I'm not so sure that's going to happen right away. Uh, They have so much swing and miss in their lineup that I would like to have seen them get somebody that could put bat the ball a little bit more. But I don't know. I was surprised that Jerry DePoto didn't do a ton. Since you're living in Southern California and you've probably been hearing more about it than, than most places, just now that it's over, Otani stays. Obviously, they went out. We The A's were just in Colorado, so we just got to see Grichik and Crone. Uh, they had G- Giolito and Lopez there with the Angels. What are the emotions you have? Are, are you happy that Shohei stayed? Would you like to see him traded? Where are you now that the dust has settled? Well, um, I understand why they didn't trade him. I get it. Like, once you let somebody go out and eat at another restaurant when they've eaten at the same restaurant for five and a half years, they might go, holy smokes, this, this food tastes great. 
and I love the ambiance and the the staff here is wonderful, and there's easy parking. Like Shohei only knows what he knows over here in Anaheim, so I understand why you'd want to hang on to him. I just think it would have been fascinating to see what they could have gotten for him. Fascinating, because never before have we seen a player like this. And people will say, well, it was a deadline deal, and people weren't offering, you know, top-tier prospects. I call BS on that. I think that is a flat-out lie. I, I, there are teams that would have – who was the best position player that moved? Probably Gritchick. Who was the – I would probably, all around, I'd probably say Gritchick was the best guy who moved. Okay, that's saying something. Yeah. If we really think that Randall Gritchick, who's a, he's a fine baseball player. I would love to sell but, you Jace Peterson. I just don't think I could sell you that used car. Okay, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Well, I'll go, I'll go to the lot in the not far from Scottsdale and see if I can go get that. Yeah. Uh, so you're telling me, that you would not have given up a top prospect? Like the Orioles wouldn't have given up one. Of, I'm not talking about Jackson Holiday, but I'm talking about the next guys, maybe some of them who are already up in the big league level, to get him just even for two months to throw at the top of your rotation and to go hit in between Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have put him – are you kidding me? So – I don't know. I just, you know, even if the Angels have a 20% chance of landing him, I guess that's better than letting him walk out the door. But there's a real good possibility he's going to walk out the door and you're going to get the 41st pick as compensation. Enjoy that. Great stuff. We always appreciate having you on. Your podcast is second to none. Uh, Quickly, though, before we let you go, it's hard to believe what's starting on Thursday night already. Already. I know. My team, my team, the Cleveland Browns will be playing in that Hall of Fame game because Joe Thomas will be yep. uh, will be the running the anchor leg of the induction ceremony on Saturday. I'm so happy and so proud of my guy. We we call the Browns preseason package together. Um, and yeah, we're we're off and running, people. It is here, it is ready to go, and I cannot wait. That's why I kept telling people, Chris, I said it's important that we pump up the All-Star game. We pump up the Home Run Derby, the Futures game, the draft, and now the trading deadline because come August 3rd, it's here, and we're going to start having preseason. Before you know it, then we got the big college football games right out of the gate, and football takes over. It is so important before we all start watching you on NFL Network, it's so important that baseball gets as much entertainment going before football comes, because one fo- once football comes, it dwarfs it. I mean, it dwarfs everything. So, I think it's pretty simple. It is pretty simple. Um, you know, it's unbelievable. It's just when I work at NFL Network and we say there is no off season, and that is the honest to god truth. It really is. Yeah, and your guys covered second to none. We always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Good luck with the podcast. Thank you, Good luck with the season. We'll talk to you later on. Appreciate it, buddy. Be well, okay? The great Chris Rose joining us here. Dave, it's Chris Townsend with the A's. It's great to have you on again. Chris, how you doing? Uh, doing great. You know, we were just reminiscing the last time we had you here on A's Cast Live. 
was uh, in spring training. I know COVID ended up happening, but the last time we had you on, you won the World Series. You know what? So you guys were uh, a, a huge uh, benefactor, uh, or you know, huge. Uh, you guys helped us, uh, help aid this. So hopefully, this is a sign of the times and and a look into the future, Chris. That's what we're trying to say. We might be here for you. And I was thinking about it. You know, we always think when it, when when a, when a team has a super team, that's when they're going to win the World Series. But it's not always when you have the super team. You can think about when you won it as a player with the Red Sox. And I think about this year with the team you have here. I know a lot of people don't think about this as a super team, but I definitely could see this as a team that could win the World Series. I think so. You know, and, and I think last year, to your point, is like I thought we had a super team. And yeah. uh, we got eliminated in the first round. So that's the great thing about baseball is the uncertainty and uh, you can't get LeBron and company and know you're going to be in the finals, you know. So uh, with baseball, it's different. But uh, to your point, I, I just love this team. I think we can prevent runs. Uh, we have a good group of uh, young players, veterans. Uh, you, you've seen the last couple of nights the way we control the zone and the situation you're hitting. So, yeah, I mean, there's some teams that on paper might be a little bit better, but I, I really like this this team. Speaking of LeBron or a guy up here like Steph Curry, you think of somebody that just has the unreal talent. You've played with a lot of great players. You've managed, coached around a lot of great players. Where do you put Mookie Betts with all of the greats that you've been around? You know what I think? Uh, I've been around a lot of good ones. A lot of uh, guys that have been in the Hall of Fame, guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, But I think with Mookie's skill set, um, I, I put him right at the top. And I say that because I just don't know a player that can go out there and, you know, win a handful of gold gloves in the outfield and then come back and play major league shortstop and plus plus second base, uh, hit at the top of the order, hit homers and score runs, get on base and not compromise defense. So um, he's a very unique uh, ball player. And I'm telling you guys, uh, an even better person and, you know, and I say that because his uh, willingness to bounce around the diamond, kick out to uh, right field in a game or come back into second base um, just opens it up and gives me more uh, latitude with the lineup. And it just – everyone's got to fall in, fall in line uh, because Mookie does that. Yeah, and then he'll go out and bowl 300. I mean, what, what can't this guy do? No, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's a single-digit handicap. He's oh. old, uh close to a dozen uh, 300 games. He can play darts with the best of them. Yeah. Uh, he can shoot threes like Steph. So, I don't know, he can dunk a basketball. But the great thing about him is that he doesn't realize he's a superstar, and that's what uh, just my heart goes out to him. Well, you, you, sometimes maybe you need to remind him what a good football player you used to be. <laughs> oh my god yeah you know what uh we go to glory days i'll still take them on a football field absolutely <laughs> yeah no 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 i played against you in high school yeah you definitely were a terrific player rancho buena vista i'll never forget that uh you know when you start talking about your first baseman too freddie freeman you just look at the numbers you look at this series you look at everything i mean he does everything defense offense you talk about driving foul pole to foul pole can drive the ball did you realize when you were getting him that he was going to be this good I didn't I I didn't I I think that you know when you see a guy uh six times a year and and we saw him in the postseason and you're trying to game plan and there's really no place to go to get this guy out um but to see him every day 
and his relentlessness to be in the lineup um, and the preparedness, uh, left-handed, right-handed. He does it every day. He values his defense. You see him taking balls, uh, you know, when we're during, during batting practice at shortstop to keep his legs moving, his feet moving. And um, I've just – the bat to ball, the ability to hit for average, slug when you need to, I've never seen anything like it. So I'm certainly – you mentioned Mookie. We're talking Freddie right now. Uh, I feel very fortunate every day to be able to pencil these guys in the lineup. You end up getting quite a few players at the deadline, and we've already seen Lynn, what he was able to do. You have Kike's like a like an old glove. You you know him so well. Just talk about that haul and how you think them fitting into the fabric of your team just makes you that much better. It does, and I, and I think a little bit it gets. I think it got lost a little bit on the baseball world, the splash that we made because. It wasn't right at the 11th hour. And you mentioned Kike, and he's a Swiss Army knife. And, I, you know, I trust him in, in a lot of different spots. And so to get him back, I think that the uh, familiar surroundings, you're going to see the best of him. Um, you know, Joe Kelly's a guy that, again, we're kind of uh, bringing him back. And you can see how much the fans love Joe Kelly here in Los Angeles. And Ahmed Rosario, man, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. You guys probably saw him a lot oh, more yeah. than we have. Um, but I just love the guy. and. To be able to have him to raise the floor, raise the ceiling for our ball club on the position player side. Um, and then Lance Lynn. So I think that Lance, we're betting on, you know, uh, him being Lance Lynn. I think this year was uh, a unique year as far as where they were at as a ball club. But he's recharged, and uh, he gave us a good one the other night. Talk about that relationship you have with the guy in the other dugout, Mark Kotze, our skipper. I'm watching Mark uh, right now throw BP, and uh, – I'll tell you, man, is uh, he's one of my good buddies, but to see him um, every day or to talk to him and to watch him right now in the series and see how positive he's remaining uh, with this club and pouring into the coaches, the players, uh, I'm proud of him. And um, you, you got to play the hand you're dealt, uh, but to hear the noise outside, you know, at the Coliseum here, you're even hearing chants, and uh, to try to drown that out to keep the players playing hard uh, I respect that so much, and, uh, you know, he's a baseball guy. He's open to the information, and most importantly, man, he's getting guys playing hard for him. Well, let's end on this. We're down at the winter meetings in both of our old hometowns, San Diego, and we're around all these Padre people, all these Giants people. Everybody's talking this big game that the Dodgers are done, and they're going to overtake the Dodgers, and we're sitting there at the winter meetings going, are you guys really sure about that? You have not slayed the dragon yet. Uh, what was that like going into this year, where you are now? Everybody thought, oh, the Dodgers are in trouble, and here you are in first place once again. You know what? I, I, it's something that uh, we're proud of. I, I think that, you know, whether you're talking about winning, a, winning an offseason, winning a deadline, you know, the bottom line is that we do a great job, uh, as good as anybody, I think, uh, as an organization to – uh, put out a contender every year and to develop young players. And that comes with, you know, scouting and development, player development, coaching. And nowadays, as you know, that you get younger players up here that you got to still develop guys and teach them the right way to play baseball. But, you know, fortunately, we mentioned two great people and Freddie and Mookie to have them, uh, you know, pour into our culture. Um, but yeah, you hear all that stuff and, uh, we were written off on spring training this year, but here we are, and uh, 
like I said, I like our ball club, but we got a lot of work to do. Nothing but respect, Dave. Always appreciate the time. Good luck to you guys. Stay healthy and uh, go get it. Make a big run at it. It's going to be fun. Thanks so much for having me on. Great catching up. Take care. Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, right here on A's Cast Live. Carney, it's Chris Townsend with the A's. How are you? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I, I got to think this is going to be a special day for you. I know we've talked about it in the past, but as a guy that grew up here in the Bay Area, a guy that grew up an A's fan, got a chance to play for the A's, you, you won a World Series with the A's. What is this going to mean to you going into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame? Well, Chris, it's such an honor. I can't even begin words. There's no words for it. Uh, you know, to be joining the guys that uh, I idolized, Growing up, when I was in high school, was when the A's were winning three straight World Series. So, you know, to be joining guys like Joe Rudy, Reggie Jackson, Campy, Catfish, Sal, all those guys, it's just a tremendous honor. Yeah, and you're going in with Gene Tennis. Yeah, I know. I I Actually, when I was in high school, I was listening to the World Series, my little transistor radio, and that's the year that, one, the year that Gino had all those home runs in the World Series. So be going in with him and then of course i love jason giambi so and my man roy Steele. what can i say it's awesome yeah it, it, it's going to be very special and, and and the thing that most players will never get the opportunity to play in the area they grew up they just don't get that opportunity when you look back now how special was that it was awesome because you know again i, I idolized the age growing up that was my team and I can't tell you how many times I went to the Coliseum to watch him play and uh, to get the opportunity to play on that field. Uh, basically, I felt like I was playing at home. So, I mean, I was born in San Jose, raised in Santa Clara. So 30 minutes away was the Coliseum. So I got to play there for 10 years. It was awesome. You know, I think about the teams that you played on, and we've gone over them, especially during the COVID years. Uh, we, we, we played a lot of the X Games. I mean, you, when you look back at how great those teams were, you won a World Series three straight World Series appearances. But just talk about how lucky you were to play on a team like that, led by one of the great managers of all time, Tony La Russa. Yeah, and you've got to give Sandy Alderson a lot of credit and Wally Haas for putting together those teams. Um, you know, once Tony came over is when we really started making moves to acquire great players. Bobby Welch, Rick Honeycutt, uh, Dave Henderson came over, Dave Parker they signed. So, I mean, they just really put together a great a great team for a number of years. When did you know, like when you were looking around and you realized, when did you realize, oh, we got something special? Actually, it was the first day of spring training in 1988. Uh, we had, Tony had just had his first meeting with us in the locker room. And as we were walking out of the locker room onto the field, I remember looking at the guys coming out and immediately I said, wow, this year we actually have a really good chance to win this thing. So it was 88 spring training. And I think about your guys' run, you guys are like rock stars. I, you know, there, there, there's, you know, good teams obviously are very, very popular. But when you guys went on the road, it was like one of those deals where you just couldn't walk through the lobby of the hotel like most teams. Just talk about what you had stars on your team. You had a bunch of stars. What was that like being on a star-studded ball club like you guys had? It was awesome. It uh you know, when we played away games, it, there would be more green jackets and green hats 
in the stands at the visiting park than there was their own guys, their own colors. So it was great. I mean, it was Ricky, Eck, Stu, uh, you know, all those guys, Jose, Mark, Terry Steinbach. You know, we just had a great team, and it was a lot of fun. We did feel like rock stars, actually, for about three or four years there. And you guys beat the you-know-what out of people. I've, ta- I've done a lot of TV with Stu lately, and Stu and I chat and watch the games, and we've just talked about how how intimidating you guys were. Like, you walked out on the field and you had games won already. Yeah, you know, Tony used to talk to us about, you know, breaking it down, you know, uh, one series at a time, actually. He said, our goal should be to try to win every series that we play. So that's usually two out of three games. But then if you won the first two, then you got to get greedy and try to sweep. So, I mean, yeah, we had we had great talent. We knew it. Uh, and for me, you know, we had great pitching, great starting pitching, a great bullpen, Rick Honeycutt, the greatest closer I can think of, Dennis Eckersley, had a great bench. So we just had a team with no weakness on it. So even the days when Tony would give some veterans a rest, the guys that you ran out there, the Stan Javier's and those guys, they were we weren't missing a beat with any of those guys out there. So it was awesome. You know, the one thing when you're such a good hitter, people just focus on that and they forget about your defense. And I know that's always tough because you pride yourself so much on playing defense and your guys' teams prided themselves on being great defensively. Like, everybody always wants to talk about your hitting. Do you ever go, hey, listen, I bring the leather to the bu- to the yard every day too? Yeah, Chris, you know, for me, really, in all honesty, the offense is nice, it's great. Um, but I would rather, when I played, make a great play to save a ball game than to get three hits and lose. You know, for me, it was just about winning. And if I could help my pitcher out by making a great play, um, th- that meant a lot to me. When I go into the clubhouse after the game, look in the mirror, I felt really good about myself if I played a great defensive game. So, yeah, defense was, was my, my pride, actually. But let's, let's be honest, you could flat out swing it. Well, I did okay. I did. I, I'm very <laughs> proud of that. And a lot of guys had a lot to do with that, uh, helping me out or whatever. Walt Riniak, when I went, went to Boston, he's the guy that really taught me how to use the whole field and made me a much better hitter, a much better contact hitter. So I got to give Walt Riniak a lot of credit there. So, um, yeah, but offense is fun. It's great being on base. My favorite thing about playing the game was running the bases. And you can't run the bases unless you get on. So, uh, yeah. Hitting is great. Defense was more important to me, though. You know, we've seen it with Zach Geloff lately, uh, a young second baseman who's just come up. His ability to go the other way as a right-handed hitter, to have power, to hit the ball out to right center, hit the ball off the wall, extra base hits, be able to go foul pole to foul pole. You know, so many hitters today, and of course, you're a hitting coach. You know exactly these kids are all coming up. They're all trying to pull it and hit the ball of the ballpark. You had a great ability that, yeah, you could do that, but you also had the great ability to go to the right side. Talk about what your approach was like that we don't see a lot of that in today's baseball. Well, you know, Chris, when I got to the A's, I hit behind Ricky most of the time. So you have the greatest base dealer in the history of the game. And so a lot of times, you know, he's on second base with nobody out. So my job was to get him over to third or get him in by hitting the ball the opposite way. So when I when I first got to Boston, I, Joe Rudy got me in touch with Walt Riniak in spring training. And he's really the guy that taught me how to stay back and use the whole field. And when I was in, in Anaheim with the Angels my first three years, I was pretty much just see ball, hit ball. I never really thought about, you know, trying to purposely hit the ball 
or to the middle the other way. If I hit the other way, it was probably an accident most of the time. So, you know, I started working with him and it just became part of my routine every day to do soft toss and work on hitting the ball the other way and then pull some balls. But most of the balls I hit were the other way. So it made it uh, tougher to pitch to me, I think, because you don't jump out. These guys that just strictly pull the ball, I think they're pretty easy to pitch to most of the time. You know, they just jump out there and they chase a lot of balls in the dirt because they're so committed to trying to pull the ball that they don't stay back and you know, try to use the whole field and hit the ball the other way. So, you know, it just helped me too, Chris, with like my two-strike approach. Really, the first three years of my career, I didn't really have a two-strike approach. But once I got to Boston in my entire time with the A's, I really thought about, hey, make sure with two strikes that you're swinging at it is a strike or close to a strike. So just the discipline, I think, was more important than anything. You know, we talk so much about managers. We talk so much now about front office guys. There's a bunch of legendary coaches out there that really don't get their due. And you mentioned Walt Reniak, and, and you think about what he did for you. You think about what he did for George Brett. You think about what he did for some of these great players. Uh, he, he, he should be talked about more. And I think some of the great pitching, Dave Duncan, for instance, as a pitching coach. But when you talk about Reniak as a hitting coach, just talk about the greatness of a man that really changed so many of your guys' lives. He changed a lot of lives. And you, you know, one guy you left out there was, who left Boston the year before or the year that I got there, Carlton Fisk, great hitter. And he worked with, with uh, Dewey Evans. He worked with Walt Reniak. And by the way, Walt Reniak was a disciple of Charlie Lau. Yeah. That's how he learned. That's how he learned how to teach guys how to hit. So, yeah, it was just it's important to have a guy. He wasn't even our – our hitting coach when I was in Boston. And they should get way more credit than, than they actually get. But that's most of the time that's what happens when you're a coach. So you don't get a lot of credit. <laughs> and also on hitting behind Ricky Henderson, how tough is it to be patient at bat after at bat? You, you, you know he's going to be going. There have to be a ton of times you took pitches that you would have loved to swing at that you couldn't, and that's truly being a team guy in your lineup. You know, uh, when I first got to the A's, hitting behind Ricky was really difficult for me because I'm a very aggressive hitter. I don't like trying to hit with two strikes all the time and then still try to be productive. Um, but we didn't really communicate, Ricky and I, when I first got there. Then he went to New York for a year or two, and he came back. And the first thing I did was sit down with Ricky and said, hey, you know, we, we just communicated. I said, you know, Rick, there's some pitchers out there that I, that I can give two strikes to, and I still feel pretty confident that I can put the ball in play with authority. But there's some guys out there that, that I need three swings. i just being honest with you. There's some – these are major league pitchers, you know. And I said, so let me ask them, what's the chance when you're on first base and you know that you're going to go that next pitch – is there any way you can just give me some little sign so that I know to take the pitch? And, and, and he honestly, what he said is, I'll tell you what, when I'm on first base, if you see me pick my pants on the right-hand side, then I'm going to go that pitch. And it made it so much better because he did every time. Because before that, you know, there's sometimes that he would deke like he was going, you take a, a pitch, and he doesn't go, and, and that was a good pitch to hit. Um, but he was really good. He, he was great with me because he said, those guys that you really struggle with, don't worry about taking pitches with them. I'll get them myself. And he always did. So uh, just the communication hitting behind a guy like a Ricky Henderson was huge. 
You know, I, I think about guys, you know, it's been a while since you've played, so you may think that the fan base forgets about you, and then all of a sudden you go to fantasy camp and you realize they haven't forgotten you at all and what you mean <laughs> to this fan base. What, what is that like when you go back and you put the uniform on and you're in Arizona and all those fans start telling you about what they saw you do and how much they loved you as a player and they love those teams that won? What has that been like kind of – kind of revigorating that relationship with the fan base. You know, it's great to be there with the fans and they're awesome. I have a great time doing it. I've done it a half a dozen times and I'll be doing it again this next January. Uh, But you know, one of the the best things for me is seeing my former teammates and guys that played before me with the A's that come in and say, you know, Terry Steinbach comes out from Minnesota, Greg Cattery is there pretty much every year. Shooty does a great job of hosting yeah. the, the fantasy camp. He's awesome. And so we have a blast, you know, and, the, and just seeing the fans out there having fun, enjoying it, and, and telling the different little stories is, is, is great. Please take down Dallas Braden. I, we got, I, we're all tired of hearing about <laughs> Dallas Braden uh, and him uh, coaching. This is one that one of you guys got to take him down this year. You know, we, I coached with Terry Steinbach last year, and we had every game won until the, the not the championship game but the winner of the, the the second to last game was going to go to the championship and we had won every game and then we got to, to the end of the game and our pitcher couldn't throw strikes and you know when the guys are facing women they get a little, you know, a little nervous because they can't throw you know as hard as they can because you don't want to embarrass the ladies up there so you want them to at least try to hit the ball and then they try so hard that they can't throw a strike so we're, we're walking the bases loaded, we'll walk a guy in, and then pretty soon one of our guys, at the end of the game, the last inning, one of our guys hits a ball deep to right field where this lady was playing out there, and you think she's got to go back. to have no chance. We're going to win this game right here. And she makes the play of her life and catches the ball on the end of her glove. And our guy that we had on second base would have been the, the go-ahead run. He goes around third base, and he tags it second, going around third base, and Terry's at third base. He's like, stop, stop, stop. The guy wants to be the hero, and he ran straight through. And he he was out by half the distance at home plate. So we would have been in the the championship game had that not happened. But, you know, Dallas, once again, he goes in there, and he he wins. So, you know, but I got to tell you, you I didn't even know Dallas until a couple years ago, and the guy's hilarious. I love him. Between him and Shooty hosting that thing, all you do is laugh the entire time. Yeah, it's such a great event. We, <laughs> we, we, we felt so lucky to be there this year, and we can't wait to bring our cameras down again and, and uh, get all the action here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live for all the fans. Uh, is, is your speech ready? Do you have it ready to rock? It is. Right. Oh, yeah. I only get two minutes, and I have a number of people I have to thank for this and that, so my time will be up. <laughs> Well, it is always an honor to have you on the program. Congratulations. You know, when I was growing up, you were definitely one of the premier hitters in the game. Loved watching you play, and it's always been great having you on the show. Congratulations, and I can't wait to see you on Sunday. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to this next weekend. Take care. You have fun. Okay. See you later. Carney Lansford, new A's Hall of Famer. That is awesome. The great Gene Tennis World Series MVP, been on this program many times, have 
so much respect for Gino, his career. I think it's just fitting that he finally gets in, should be in. Um, I think we got him. Gene, are you there? Yes, I am here. It's Chris Townsend. It's great to have you on the program again, and congratulations on going into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame. I appreciate that. You know, the last time we talked to you recently at the 1973 celebration, you know, I, I just think about all these players, and we've lost some of them lately, but all these guys, how you guys grew up together, what you guys have all meant to each other, what, what your families mean to each other, and now you think about your great A's career, and it's now going to end in the A's Hall of Fame with a lot of the guys you played with and won World Series with. What does that mean to you? Oh, that means a lot to me. Uh, I uh, We got eight guys in there, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that's in the Oakland Hall of Fame already. So uh, that means a lot, going in there with all those guys. We got, I believe we got three more guys on the ballot, so we need to get those other three guys in, if, we, if at all possible. You know, it's amazing your career um, when you think about World Series championships because obviously you were able to go on – and win World Series with other teams, even as a coach. We can get into that. But just talk about when you look back on that time, three straight World Series, just how just incredible, just how incredible it was, all the winning, but to win three straight. Yeah, we had a group of guys that were pretty special. Uh, obviously, we had uh, tremendous pitching was our key and our strength to our ball club our starting pitching and our relief pitching. Uh, but then you go, you know, then you go with the position players when you got guys like Bando and Campanaris and Dick Green in the infield and Ray Fossey behind the plate, Joe Rudy in, in left field, Billy North in center, Reggie, Mr. October in right. <laughs> and then you had all these uh, extra guys on the bench that, you know, like guys like George Hendricks, Angel Manguel, Ted Kubiak, and you know, and 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 on and on that you know, guys needed a, a blow, needed a day off. You can insert those guys in a lineup. We never missed a beat. Yeah, and we've had, you know, I've been so fortunate to be around you guys now for so many years, and with uh, all the different celebrations, and you know, recently talking to Joe Rudy about it, where how you guys all lived together, growing up. And next thing you know, you guys are getting married and you're having kids. It's just take us through just the lifestyle of how you guys really grew into men together. So we just think of you guys so much as winning championships, but it was more than just winning championships together. You guys were truly like a family. Yeah, we were. Uh, you know, Rudy and I and Bando, uh, we lived out uh, in a we had a home. I had a home on San Ramon. Those two guys, Bando and Rudy, lived in in Danville. They were they were high rent district guys. <laughs> they had they were making more money, so I had to stay in in the San Ramon. <laughs> but then you had Fossey come out there uh, when we acquired him. So we had a carpool, and I think Raleigh was out there too, if I'm not mistaken. So we had like. All those guys, and we always had a carpool, so make sure all the wives always had a car to go into this coliseum. 
So we, uh, and then we had kids, all, we, all had kids, and they all got along. And, you know, yeah, we kind of, Raleigh and I and Rudy and Bando, uh, we pretty much, well, those guys were always a, a, a year ahead, or two ahead of me in the minor leagues. And then I was a late bloomer because I was converted into a catcher. And uh, so I had, uh, I was lagging back because I was trying to learn the position. <laughs> But uh, those guys got to the big leagues before I did in 69, and I showed up on the scene. I know I've asked you this before, but I I, I want the fans to hear it again. Uh, It just wasn't the World Series in 72. You came up big in the postseason, ALCS, and the World Series. Just talk about what that time was like. You're you're taking on, what was it, Detroit, and then it's the big red machine. You end up being the hero. You're the World Series MVP. Obviously, there were the threats off the field. Just take us through that time. Yeah, you know, I became uh, in late August, I think it was, Dick Williams made a catching change because Dave Duncan was the number one catcher for the entire season up until I think it was late August. He called me in and he told me that I was from now on I was his number one catcher and all he wanted me to do was catch, handle the pitching staff. He didn't care what I hit. So anyway, we go in, and I I did exactly what he said. I didn't hit. (laughs) So, you know, I I handled the staff what he wanted, and I couldn't get a stinking hit to save my life. (laughs) But then we get into the playoffs with Detroit, and I couldn't get any hits in the stinking playoffs. We win the first two games in Oakland, and we go to Detroit, and, and God, well, we we got the best, uh, what was the best three out of five, I think. Yeah. So we lose the next two games. And I'm going to tell you what, I've never experienced that kind of pressure in my life uh, because now we're in the fifth game and then uh, uh, we end up winning that game and I got my only hit in the series, which turned out to drive in a run, George Hendricks from second base with two outs. It was the big hit. We end up. Yeah, we ended up winning that game. Vita came in and finished the game out. I think he pitched the last three or four innings. Blue Moon held him to one run. And uh, and and then Vita came in and shut it down. And then we went on into Cincinnati. And now Cincinnati, see, I grew up two hours from Cincinnati. I, you know, as a kid, I grew up in that area. I was only down the river about two hours from Cincinnati. So... I was familiar with uh, with Cincinnati, and uh, I also I had a lot of family and friends there for that series in Cincinnati. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was a funny story I tell people because that first day, well, it was a workout, uh, and we had you know we you know we had all these players out there, and I had one guy from where I grew up that did an interview with me. I only did one interview prior to that first game on Saturday. And then after that first game, it seemed like I couldn't get away from doing interviews. It was nonstop. <laughs> it was comic. It was really funny because I did a guy, I did an interview from the, in Portsmouth where I grew up. Uh, and it was a local paper where I grew up and uh, played Legion Bowl. And uh, he did an interview with me. It was a short interview. And then the rest of the time, I was able to take batting practice. And these guys, man, they were doing interviews. And I'm getting in a cage. And I'm getting all the hidden in. 
I kept looking around. Are you guys going to hit? And they were, you know, they were just handcuffed with you know stinking reporters. And I just stayed in the cage and just kept taking their swings. And the next thing you know, Saturday, it was the same thing Saturday. They're doing all these interviews right before game. And I'm going, man, it's, it's batting practice time. What are you guys doing? Talk to them after we get done. So I'll, they wouldn't come in the cage. So I just told the coach, keep throwing me this thing at BP. You know, we can't leave the fort unguarded. So uh, I got a lot of hidden in, and obviously it paid off. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I ended up having a great uh, first game, and then I had a very great series. Yeah, it was pretty. It was a lot of fun. And, and World Series, you know, it's it's funny. You, you win three in a row, and then throughout the rest of your career, even as a coach, going to. Uh, back to 92-93, one of the great teams under Cito Gast, uh, Cito Gast and the Toronto Blue Jays winning the World Series. I mean, just what was that like throughout your baseball career, whether you're a player, you're a coach, you always seem to be in the playoffs yeah, and you yeah. won a lot of rings. Yeah, I was, I was, I consider myself pretty fortunate, you know, uh, even fortunate enough to even play with a group of guys I played with in Oakland. And I ended up going to getting traded from San Diego to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. In 81, and then, uh, of course, they had that stinking strike in 81. We should have been in the playoffs in 81, and we got bumped out. And uh, I think Cincinnati bumped us out because of uh, – I forget how it went. Anyway, we we ended up having the best record, and, they went, and then it went by the second half record. So we got bumped up because we got penalized. We went in at the first half, and then the, the strike hit you know, in 81. And then when they came back, it was who won the second half. And we, Cincinnati, I think won the second half or somebody won the second half. I don't forget who it was, but anyway, we lost it. We didn't get in the playoffs. So the next year at 82, we ended up finally getting in the playoffs. And then we went all the way to the world series and beat uh, Milwaukee in seven. And Bruce Suter uh, saved that last game for us to clinch it for us in uh, in, in St. Louis. Yeah, then I ended up in Toronto as a, as a coach. And, and uh, this is another funny story. Uh, Paul Beeston, I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that name. He was the, he's the president of the Blue Jays. Of course, he's just a huge baseball fan. And he's always down on the field. And then we're, we're playing Atlanta. Wait a minute. We're playing Atlanta. Yeah, in the the World Series, and he's he's pacing back and forth. He's a nervous wreck. And I was standing there, and I was done with the hitting fungos to my first baseman, and then I called him over. I said, boy, are you, are you all right? He said, oh, I'm a nervous wreck. I said, I said, you shouldn't be nervous. He said, what are you talking about? I said, what year is this? He goes, 92. I said, okay. I said, 72, I want a world championship. 82, I won another world championship. This is 1992, so we're going to win another world championship. And we ended up beating Atlanta. <laughs> and then we played Philadelphia and beat them in 93. You know, So I won you know, back-to-back twice as it, a player and coach. It's just a charmed baseball life, Gene. It's the bottom line. It's a charmed baseball life. Yeah, you got I did it at the right place at the right time. There's, there's. I don't know about that charm thing. <laughs> well, but you got to have a little skill set. But the, you know, you got to have be doing something right. So you know, whether it's a hitting, whether it's a player or a coach. So you know, you got to have the right personnel. We, you know, Toronto. We had a great club. I'm gonna tell you that we had some talent there in Toronto. 
Oh, gosh. We had tremendous pitching. Well, Dave Stewart was there with us. Yeah. Ricky Henderson in uh, 93. Yeah, they helped us win another ring. Yeah. They yeah. Were, they were my, outstanding. My God, you had Dave Winfield, uh, future Hall of Famer at the time, had, had some big hits for you yeah. in that World Series, and you replaced yeah, him with it, another future Hall of Famer, Paul Molitor. All kinds of talent yeah. on that team. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of talent. Joe Joe Carter, uh, John Olerud, uh, Robbie Alomar. I mean, yeah, the, the list goes on and on. Dwine Dwine White, Pat Borders. He was a catcher. He was MVP. Yeah, yeah. We had some tremendous talent, and we had great pitching, and great bullpen. So there was a you know, so it's just like in Oakland. We had great pitching and great, great relief pitching. It's truly amazing. Three straight World Series championships, only the A's and the Yankees, it shows just how hard it is to win one. Gina, we, ha- we haven't had a repeat since the Yankees did it in the late late 90s into 2000. I think people now truly yeah. understand what you did, how amazing it was to win three in a row because it just doesn't happen. We can't even get back-to-back, let alone three in a row. Right. It's very difficult. It's, it's difficult to win. It's not because – you know, there's so much talent in the big leagues, in you know, both leagues now, and it's, it's it's so difficult, you know, to win. And and then if you do fortunate to win, to then back it up with another year like you had before, I mean, it's very difficult to you back-to-back, let alone put three of them together. I mean, I don't know if that will ever happen again. Uh, there's only been two organizations uh, that's ever done that in the history of the game, and it's the Yankees and us, so. And of course, they've done it several times. But uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a tough business. I mean, it's tough to win. It's not easy. Well, what a career you've had, and I can't wait to celebrate you on Sunday. I've always appreciate you coming on all the different programs that I have, but especially this one, A's Cast Live. Be well, my friend, and we'll see you on Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You take care. Appreciate it. The great Gene Tennis joining us right here on A's Cast Live. Do we have the American League MVP from 2000? Hey, Thomas, how you guys doing? Hey, Jason Giambi, how are you? It is good to see you once again, Chris Townsend with the A's. Good to see you, Chris. How you been? Uh, I- I've been well. I was actually telling the story about how you took me deep in college back, <laughs> back, back when Long Beach State, this is how old we are, back when you guys used to play on campus. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember playing. It was the old days. The the good old days. Well, I got, you know, there was just something about you and the relationship and and what I love so much about you going into the Hall of Fame, the A's Hall of Fame. It's truly your love. You love playing for this organization. You love the fan base. It's going to be fitting, and I know Sunday's going to mean a lot to you. Uh, It's it's incredible. I'm, I'm definitely honored. I mean, the A's, Mr. Fisher, I mean, it's where you start. You always have those memories of where you start. And I mean, I got to play with all my heroes when I first got there, you know, and from Mark to Eckersley to everybody else to the Hudson Motors, you know, like to make that transition and, and to be a part of some of those incredible teams. I, I mean, the fans that are there are die hard to die hard. I mean, they really are. And uh, it, it was amazing to play there. I think about 2000. I also think about 2001. I know you won the MVP in 2000, covered that year, covered 01. I think you're better in 01. Obviously, the new thing about Ichiro coming over, but 
Just talk about those two years because when you mix everything, when you mix batting average with power, driving the ball to left center, which was your signature, the doubles, the walks, you did everything, and you also didn't get enough credit for your defense. But talk about those two years specifically, how how much they meant to you in your career and how good they were. Oh, they were they were incredible because my brother was there as well. Yeah. You know, and it was like Little League. It was like going to the park every day. Just I had never got a chance to play with him and, and to have that opportunity. You know, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I think that's some of the reason, you know, and that's the same year that I started dating my wife. So it was like my world had become complete. And it was, you know, having a great time in the organization. It was incredible. And all these surrounding people that I had, it just, it, I think that's what brought it to the, through the roof is just that it was all, it all came together. It all came together those two years. And, and there's a special thing there too, where you think about, you saw it growing, right? You see these young oh. pitchers and you had to think like, man, we got these young pitchers. Like, like you knew that you guys were going to be players in major league baseball, that you were going to factor in who the best teams are. Oh, we would have been the Braves. There's no doubt. We would have been waiting forever because you still had Harden in the minors and all these other guys in the minor leagues that hadn't even got a chance to come to the big leagues yet. Uh, that, I mean, they were stacked. I mean, you just would have wrote, you would have never had to get a free agent. I mean, that's how stacked they were in the minor leagues. You just bring up some in the lineup and that, that they could have learned. They would have had to learn it. You could learn underneath us. It, it would have been incredible. I mean, it really would have. You, you, you know, later on, we never really realized. You just thought Mark McGuire was this great power hitter, right? Mark McGuire sets the record, and, you know, Mark McGuire had the rookie record. Mark, it's Mark McGuire, for God's sake. We, we didn't realize what a great hitting coach, the mental side, until he came back to baseball with St. Louis and L.A. and San Diego. We started to realize, wow, this guy's like a hitting savant. You got to see the early part of that when he was still a player what was it like learning from Mark McGuire? Because obviously both of you guys are from Southern California. You knew he was already a star, but what did you learn from him? Well, I followed him around like a puppy dog for about four years, and uh, he took me under his wing. And from then, I got to see some of the greatest hitters of all time. You know, I was still playing. Donnie was still playing in Winfield and Puckett, and and all these guys. And of course, Mark was who he, you know a star of the game. So I'm just standing there listening to all these things. We would talk about hitting, go to lunch, talk about hitting, you know, what, what to look for, what to counts. And so you were constantly talking about the one part of our game that was the best all the time. So it's like mental notes, all that, you know, and I always think that when you talk about it, he's talking about something, you also learn something as well. And I think that's why he started to skyrocket as well, because it's just when you kind of put those pieces together in the puzzle, you know, sometimes there's an aha moment. You know, we're like, oh, that works. That, that'll that work for me. You know, where other times you're like, eh, I don't really see that in my game. But that's where you start picking up pieces of the puzzle along the way, which sped up my learning curve, like, tenfold, because I didn't have to go through all the ups and downs as a young player when I had one of the best hitters in the game. And like you said, he didn't get enough credit for what kind of hitter he was. But then you're talking to the rest of the best hitters in the game, and there you are, like, standing there just like, Okay, you know, having the time of your life, like you're that kid still getting the autograph and listen to him talk about hitting. Now, you start thinking about when you started to become a star. When did you really start to notice it? Because all of a sudden there was a lot of things about to be thrown your way 
early in your career, when did you start to sit back and go, wow, it's happening? I think when Mark left and I went to first base and then Matt Scarrens and I were both standing there going, God, if we do the same things you with Hayes rookies with, we'll have nobody on the veteran bus. It'd be just you and I, you know, like, so <laughs> we had to, we had to like welcome those young kids. Like, you know, I had to tell Eck in the seventh inning, like it's the seventh deck so we can get dressed. And I had to carry the beer and sit on the, the media bus and all this stuff and had to sit in the toilet, you know, when I got finally invited, but we're like, it's going to be you and I on this bus. So we had to have a different approach of like welcoming these young kids and making them feel like a part of it. So that's how it became like a frat house because you had all these young kids there having the time of your life. And then before you know it, you're like, you're young too. So, I, I mean, then it just all worked. Then the, the piece of the puzzle worked. That chemistry came together really fast. Well, I think about the environment you guys set in that clubhouse, even long after you were gone, it never left. I think, yeah, it's like this fun, like, you know, baseball, God, these clubhouses were just so, uh, A's clubhouse, it was fun. I shit. One thing, guys have remote control cars. I mean, there's all (laughs) kinds of, I mean, there's stuff going on, always stuff going on. Uh, That had to be something you had to love that, that you were the big part of that and that it didn't leave even probably when you came back in 09. No, thank you. But it, it is, it's the guys. That's what who makes it happen. It's, it's just not one person. It's its everybody buying into that kind of philosophy. Like, hey, we're going to have fun. And there's enough time. Like, when we hit the field, there's enough time to take care of business. But until then, we're going to have fun. And, you know, and that's what separates us differently from everybody else. How tough was it to leave Oakland? It was really tough. I had a deal on the table and, and they had pulled it off. And, and then I played that whole year without a contract, you know, so that which opened the door to other teams. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I tried and it didn't work out and, and I don't really blame anybody. More money than they bought the club for, you know, so I don't, you know, and then they also had young players and they were losing some other players. So that that's just, the hard thing about being in that small market too, you got more revenue sharing and more things to, to pass on, you know, that that's the tough thing about this game. And now I think with new TV contracts and, you know, internet and everything else, there's, there's more money to be spread out throughout the game. I mean, you got t- teams like Tampa now who are doing amazing that are, I mean, you've really look at it. They're still a, like a small budget, you know, but they spend money because they have money now. So, and they're winning. But it, 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 the game has definitely gotten out of that extra wild card. It's made it more exciting because now you have teams that are – I mean, there's a couple of years where we could have made a playoff if we had a second wild card. But that's what's made the game more exciting now because there's more teams in the hunt at the end. So you have more fan support. You have more people coming out going, hey, we got a chance. We're not that far back. And, and I think that's really picked up the game. Yeah, if you think about 99, if we are where we are today, you guys would have made the playoffs in 99. Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. then, then that brings that whole, you know, like, oh, then 2000 is a big year. Then 2000, you know, it's like, then the fans get, get that excitement. You know what I'm saying? Because they're like, oh, all these guys are going to be back. All these guys are going to be back. And that's, that's how you build, you know, like what Atlanta did. Cleveland did back in the early, you know, early 90s and things like that with Tomei and Manny. And, and then, you know, Boston. And that's how they just keep the ball rolling. And they just go get one player here, one player there, one, you know that homegrown guy. And so 
I mean, even the AAA out here is exciting to watch. You know, to go watch those guys play, you start to have this fan base, and now you have A's fans everywhere. What was the entire New York experience like? Because you went to New York after, let's face it, they had won those three straight World Series. They they lost the World Series trying to make it four in a row against the D-backs, but they were still star-studded. They still wanted to win every single year. You go there as the big free agent. You're now a star, kind of like Reggie back in the day. I'm bringing my star to New York. What was the experience like? It's like a traveling rock band. I mean, it really is. It's like uh, you go to the hotels, and they're packed, and you have Joe Torre and Derek Jeter and Mariano and Jorge Posada, and you have all these – superstars among themselves and you're getting a chance to, to play with some of the most incredible players of the game and the, the fans that are like like I would always say I went over for I didn't go home and sleep but if the Yankees didn't win they didn't go home and sleep you know it's like that's that's how they do they live and die I mean they don't go to Met Stadium they only go to Yankee Stadium and they're diehards man and it's it's an honor playing in front of them and it, it tests you as a as a player. It tests you as a person because you you have to stand up and take responsibility for your stuff. You know, like if you have a bad game, you have to talk to the media. You know, you can't just walk out. You know, and and you got to answer the question. So it, it was a incredible experience. You know that I mean, it's the mecca. I mean, of baseball, Babe Ruth. You know, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio. I mean, all the greats ever have played there as well. You know, one of the great parts about your career was the last parts of your career. And I remember interviewing you as a Colorado Rocky. And when all of a sudden Jason Giambi is not the star, Jason Giambi is not the everyday going to be the MVP guy, you are now the mentor. You are now the guy that you've seen it. You've had your ups. You've had your downs. You've had to deal with some emotional stuff, the press conference. You you provide so much maturity for those teams and what you meant to the then Cleveland Indians and what you meant to the Rockies. For all these people, and we still talk about it today, going, the minute he wants back in this game, there's still people who think you'd be a great manager. Talk about the end of your career where now you truly are what, like what Mark McGuire was to you. Yeah, well, I literally played them the last five years of my 20-year career because of that, because I was willing to help the young kids. And I always thought, it's a damn shame if I don't pass this on to, like, someone else. You know, that's it was passed on from Mark to me, and that's, I think, how you honor the after that. You know, I had Michael Brantley and Kipnis and Todd Helton and Tulowitzki. And, yeah. you know, you had all these incredible players that I still got a chance to play with. That was so fun to watch, but they just needed to learn that that learning curve of yeah to do things to have those back to back seasons instead of like one great year, one bad year, one great year, one bad year, so you can like help them through their tough times. And I really, really enjoyed. It was so much fun to go to the ballpark and come off the bench and win games and hit home runs. You know, as a pinch hitter, and but it, I I also had a chance to play for some of the greatest managers in the game. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, for Tony. To Jim Tracy, to Tito, I mean, Joe Torrey, I mean, it goes on, the list goes on and on. Uh, Art Howe, you know, it just, it was phenomenal. I mean, these guys to watch day in and day out and like listen to them talk and listen to how they maneuver guys or talk to guys, it, it was incredible. Like I had every portion of the game 
that I took the chance to look at though. Like I, 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 I really did. I loved the game so much. I took it every part of it. I just didn't go, all right, I'm not here to dig myself and like whatever. I, I, I cared about my teammates. I cared about what was happening with the team and, and uh, it paid off, you know, like my son plays baseball and out they have a little travel ball team and yeah. you know, they went from coach pitch to real pitch and then they started winning all the time. And it, it's, it's like, it brings back the joy of what it's all about. You know, I love it. I love, I still get calls from guys today that I have, I'm struggling dude at two in the morning. You know, like you can call me anytime and we talk <laughs> through it and, and you know, I talk through it off the ledge and, but it's, it's, it's cool. Like I still have relationships in the game, which is, which is, incredible you know the thing about it, i'm like 52 and these guys are still calling to ask for help you know and I, I love every minute of it well last time i talked to you on the field it was just a few years ago i asked you the question you talked about your kids i'm, yep. gonna, I'm gonna ask you again anytime you want to come back there's people who think you'll make a great manager they think well, you can roll right I, in I, I get the calls every year you know you ready yet you ready yet and i you know i i I have, I uh, kind of finally grew up. I have four children now instead of three. So we have a one-year-old. <laughs> it took me a long time to grow up. But, uh, you know, it's, it's starting to blossom out. You know, I'm helping my son do his thing. Still helping players. You know, I've gone to some spring trainings. And, you know, just to kind of get that, because I, when I want to do that, that's why I go down the rabbit hole. I, that's My wife always says, I know you. Once you go, you'll go down the rabbit hole, and I won't see you. So... Make sure when you're ready, we're ready to go with you because we're not going to see you, you know, because yeah. that's who I am. Because I care, I care deeply about the game. I really, I really do. I love the game, and it has taught me so much as a man, as a young kid, as a human being. You know, it, it is who I am today because of that game. You know, and and I think that's how you honor it. You think about when you came to the athletics way back when out of Long Beach State. Yep. And then on Sunday, you're going to be wearing that green jacket and you'll be forever remembered as an Oakland A Hall of Famer. Uh, how emotional is this speech going to be for you? It's going to be tough. You know, uh, the person that taught me the game, my dad's no longer around. The, my brother, who I've had some of the best years of my career when I was with, won't be there. You know, so it will be. It will be emotional. Not only that, my kids never saw me play. You know, like they really didn't. My daughter was the oldest when I was in Cleveland and she was born in 2011. I retired in 2014 and she remembers a little bit, but none of the other kids really remember me playing. I'm like the YouTube dad, you know, like they watch me play on YouTube uh, or the video games, you know, the, the video games that I was on cover. So it, it's gotta be special. like. You know, my son loves baseball, like all on his own. And not even dad got involved with that. I said, you know, I said, if you want to play, buddy, it's up to you, you know? And he just gravitated towards it, you know? And he, like, wanted to do it. I said, all right, if you want to do it, I'll teach you everything I know. And, like, he's like a little stud. He's like nine. And, and he's a grinder, man, too. He, like, I remember the first game he ever played, first game of Coach Fit. We played, like, the number four team. And like Nevada, there one travel ball team. This guy's throwing gas and drills him right in the back. Like first pitch of the first first ever bat, drills him right in the back. He's a skinny kid too, so it's like, scope. Like I gotta like pop it out of his chest and like, and I'm like, all right, buddy, you're either gonna come up your next bat, get a hit, or you're not, and we're gonna find you another sport. 
then you'll be a baseball player if you get a hit. So he comes up next bat, lines one to left field, and I go, you're a baseball player. So he's never been scared after that again. After, I mean, he got that one right out of the way first at bat, and he's been well on his way. Well, I, I know for a lot of fans, they're going to be so pumped to see you. And, you know, you, you, may be, you may be great on YouTube, but a lot of us remember you back in the Big West, how good you were at Long Beach State. And then, of course, what you did throughout the A's organization, the big leagues, whether it's the A's, the Yankees, the Rockies, the Indians, you name it. You had an unbelievable career. You're a great player. And you're going to be an Oakland A's Hall of Famer on Sunday. So we can't wait to see you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Chris, it's such an honor to see you again, buddy. And thank you so much for everything. And I'm, I'm so honored to be on the show and be, you know, really the first one to talk to, you know, about this. And, and I'm honored. I really am. It's going to be great. We'll see you Sunday. You be well. All right, buddy. You too. The great Jason Giambi, now Oakland A's Hall of Famer. How cool was that, A's fans? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 